0: Good morning class welcome to art eater podcast number 39. so uh, today is part three of our series reflecting back on the life and work of kentaro miura the creator of berserk and uh, several other amazing comics who um, tragically passed away on march 6th uh, 2021. so um, this is part of a you know uh, ongoing series that we've been doing part one was mostly about just the shock of uh, miura's passing i mean it, it just uh, he passed away relatively uh, young, and it is just very sudden. Um, just oh gosh, I mean it. it it's, it's been a little over a month, but it, it's just still very surreal. All right. So uh, yeah, part one was sort of just a reaction um, to the news. Uh, part two, uh, we we talked about uh, just uh, the uh, how huge of an influence Berserk has been on. Um, you know just modern fantasy and just various uh, video games and uh, comics and other stuff it's just been a super influential very beloved series and then uh, part 3 which is the recording you're listening to today uh we're going to talk about the uh you know myriad inspirations and influences that uh Mira drew upon when creating his magnum opus uh, Berserk All right so um with us today it's uh, I'm I'm your host uh, Richmond um, I'm the, uh, one of the founders of Art Eater. I've been working in uh, video games for, um, oh man, a long time now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my background's in art and uh, animation. I love talking about art um, and all this great stuff. Um, uh, typically, uh, our, my co host Sean is with us. He is out today. Um, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we got the, the, the rest of the, the, the Rogues Gallery <laughs> here with us today. Um, yeah. So, uh, also with us today is uh, Thomas.
1: Hi, everyone. So I'm Thomas. I'm the webmaster of arteater.com. So I'm the one that uh, that, uh, annoys Richmond. So he posts his uh, Twitter threads on the website instead of Twitter. (laughs) And uh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm a web developer from France and a big, big fan of Berserk and art and video games in general. So very happy to be there.
0: Uh, great to have you and by the way Thomas um, he actually mm-hmm. revived the the website uh, arteater.com that's where uh, you know everything started um, Th- Thomas yeah. great graciously um, uh, saved <laughs> the website <laughs> uh, from obscurity I was having a lot of technical issues and he was able to rebuild it so so yeah really, just thank you for that and I'll always that was it nothing
1: my, my pleasure I, I did it because I wanted it to be online you know that there's some things like this that you you say this shit should be online, <laughs> you know it should be readable and and uh, I think uh, well, the the next us uh, the next um, Adam is going to say yes you're right because uh, he has the same uh, kind of history with the website
2: I think. Right, uh, Absolutely, uh, you you saved that website and honestly you're an absolute magician for doing so. So yeah, thanks for that.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, yeah, uh, uh, really happy to have you here too, uh, AJ. Uh, so yeah, please, what's, up? Uh, what's
2: up, everybody? <laughs> yeah, what's up, everybody? It's uh, it's Adam here. It's AJ. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure to be here once again. I'm a game and level designer, pixel artist, international taekwondo fighter. You will have heard me say that a bunch of times on the podcast, but it's all true. Uh, go by AJ on Twitter. You can find me over there at AJ Mattis. That's AJMATTIS. I'll share and retweet all sorts of cool art and creative projects that I see. And I'm also very much into creating. And also like sharing a whole bunch of other work that people are making that is really just inspirational to me. And I'll talk about it too. All sorts of different things. So if you're ever interested in any of that, come on over, hop over, give me a follow and let's see what's up. Oh, by the way, if anyone needs any pixel or doing anything or anything else like that, because I get some people that hit, let, listen to this and are interested too. Uh, yeah, free- please feel free to hit me up. The DMs are always open. And yeah, if you'd like anything, follow me, drop me a request and uh, yeah, we can get to working. Take care. And uh, yeah, it's really good to have everyone here.
0: All right. And then um, also uh, a a rare pleasure. um, uh, Professor Andy is back. Andy, why don't you let everyone know what you've been up to?
3: Yes.
4: Um, So I'm a uh, lecturer of uh, game design, uh, narrative design world building in Bangkok. And uh, yeah, I got my like next semester of uh, narrative class starting. So I think a lot of like the things uh we'll be talking about i'll i'll fit into my lectures or where or they're things i draw from my lectures
3: nice. like
4: i i like uh, lots of martial arts uh especially stuff with swords like i do kendo i've done a little bit of onoha ito ryu i study uh like historic european martial arts with like online groups and like meeting people like to just you know whale on each other with our Plastic and our bendy metal swords. Mm. So, I feel like everything uh, I enjoy is kind of related, like art history, uh, games, calligraphy. It's like uh, takes finesse of the hands and and coordination to wield. And also, like throughout art history, there's been you know cool warriors with cool swords fighting monsters, like from <laughs> the oldest written history to. I mean, even kind of like cave art, you could say is kind of like that. Yeah. And I, uh, I also go to a buffet at least once a week.
3: <laughs> nice.
0: It's a good life. All right. All of that is very relevant to the topic today, which is Berserk. <laughs> berserk. All
3: hey.
0: right. Oh man, such a huge, such a huge series. Um, let's. Uh, okay, where to start? So I, I, I think we said a a good starting point. Um. Because it's such a huge, sprawling series, full of um, yeah. just so many different things. Uh, let, let's start with the the theatrical um, inspirations, right? So, so Berserk started in um, man. When did it start?
1: Nineteen
0: ninety-nine. Ninety-nine. Uh, eighty-nine. 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 Right. 80, eighty-nine. I thought
2: it was, 89
1: yeah. Yeah. was it eighty-eight? No, no. I think it's eighty-nine. I think it's eighty-nine. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay.
3: Yeah.
0: Wow. Right. So, um, yeah, some of the immediate influences on it were, um, you know, some some movies, uh, some well known and some a little bit more obscure. But um, let's see. So so uh, th- this is a well known fact. Uh, it's, it's been brought up in several interviews. It said that um, sort of the tone of the series and sort of the, the overall um, like sort of vibe. And a rough appearance of Guts, the main character, is based off of a Rudger Hauer as he appeared yes. in a couple different movies, actually. So one is uh, Flesh and Blood, uh, which is um, yeah, a really awesome kind of a grim, dark, medieval movie. Uh, not not really a fantasy movie, just like a dark, grimy, like, uh, medieval uh, uh, thriller, really. It's not it's not a very romanticized uh, version of medieval Europe in Nights. It's just a, a very... Um, I, uh, yeah it, it, it is dark I remember seeing it as a kid and thinking like it was really cool but also like scary it's <laughs> <Just> very grimy <laughs> terrifying all I remember from the movie actually is that um, Rudger Hauer looked cool and there was like a uh, uh, some pretty lady and then at some point they like catapulted a corpse <laughs> over a castle wall to try to poison the people inside so that's like my wow. memory of that
1: in uh, flesh and blood right yeah yeah I, I yeah think, yeah. I that's, think that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, i've seen it recently and what's uh, so what's interesting about this movie is that it's um it's a movie by paul Verhoeven. so it's not like the the if you know his filmography it's not a typical type of movie he will do but the movie is super extreme and it's one of the first movies I think that depicted medieval um, medieval times without making it, making it about you know ch- chivalry or you mm. know uh, good uh, I don't know not good feelings but yeah the, the night stories or things like that the the, the main character played by Rudger is, is a mercenary just like Guts in the start of, uh, of Berserk and um it's all about a story of a group of mercenaries that have a kind of illumination and they decide to take a castle to, to to take revenge on someone and they they kind of become the lords of the castle and they do everything and nothing to keep it and outside of this people are trying to drag them out like like to set catapulting bodies to poison them, or things like that. <laughs> so okay. that's pretty extreme. That's very bloody. There's also the um, the pest is also present in the movie. It's also a big critic of um, of um, the lack of the ah uh, of people. You know, when they refuse um, refuse. For example, there's a big topic on medicine, on Arab medicine not being accepted by uh, Christianity by Christians. Uh, during the movie, because uh, sickness is present, it's all and uh, there's also a kind of love story that is, I don't know, kind of pure when it starts, but it goes wild very fast, I would say. And it's all about the corruption of, uh, of you know, of good chivalry, good principles, and also how um, intelligence, science, and things like that uh, will triumph uh, on obscurity. So, that, that all those things.
0: All right, a, a flesh and blood. That was uh, a nineteen eighty-five uh, when it came out, and mm. uh, yeah, uh, Paul Verhoeven, uh, most famous probably for uh, Robocop and uh, Starship yeah. Troopers. Yeah, yeah,
1: the... he's always been, uh, you know, a guy that that questions the tra- status quo. And this movie is also the same, basically. It's it's like, oh, you like medieval movies, but all medieval movies are like King Archer stories or thing like that. And it's like, okay, we're going to switch completely uh, the, the 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 topic and go see the bad guys anti hero. And uh, it's um, I've been I've seen it, I've seen it like last year and. To be honest, it aged a little bit <laughs> from the, the costumes, the, the, the air, the, the the makeup, things like that. But the tone still works. Mm. It's still a good movie for your for your cultural education. So go and watch it. You'll, I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, another uh, Rutger Hauer movie um, that was an influence on Berserk, sort of the, the tone and uh, especially the costume design was yeah. a film called The Blood of Heroes which is this mm-hmm. uh, weird post-apocalyptic sports movie <laughs> uh, starring <laughs> Rutger Hauer and uh, Joan Chen, um, mm-hmm. uh, who was, uh, I, was this before or after Twin Peaks? She was on, she was famous in the U.S. for Twin Peaks as well. Um, uh,
4: this is 1989, and then Twin okay. Peaks is uh,
0: 1990. Oh, right. Okay. So this would have been right before Twin Peaks. And this would have come out yeah. actually right as Berserk was starting to be published so this was an influence on it um as it was being made uh yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah um,
1: and what's and what's interesting about this movie is that it's directed by the the guy that wrote both blade runner um the tools monkeys army and also uh the clint eastwood movie uh um i don't know in english unforgiven Unfor- unforgiven yes, so
0: the best westerns ever made
1: yeah. And so it 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 should give you a, a little bit of the of the tone of the movie wow. because wow that's um, that's that's something. Uh, and when I said the, the twelve uh, monkeys, it's both the movie the nineteen the nineteen five movies and both the the TV series from uh, two thousand fifteen. So this guy has a, quite a quite a, a writer career. And so of course The Blood of Heroes is a very very um very dark movie basically.
0: Yeah, it's um it's also pretty much about a group of mercenaries, right? Mm. And the, they they um uh yeah, it's post-apocalyptic. There's been like a war that's ruined the world and uh, this group uh, bands together and they I think they have to compete in like a game. Um I haven't actually seen this movie. I I should track it down. <laughs> but but the costumes are awesome. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, it's got quite a pedigree for the right. Yeah,
1: that the in an interview Mura said something very fun. He said that him and um uh, Yukito Kishiro the author of uh, Gun Battle Angel Alita, they were watching this movie and super fan of this movie and they together picked costumes from this movie and the whole motorball uh, section yeah. of uh, battle angel alita in the costume the motorball armor, are from this movie yeah, actually yeah, absolutely uh, ah yeah. that makes sense
3: yeah Mm-mm.
1: and there's also a lot it's of things cool. like yeah, yeah. rudger hour in this movie he he has only one high so exactly like gust he has a lot of scars too and uh when you when you watch the the costumes like they the, when the when during the young period of uh, sorry there's someone be, be making noise with uh <laughs> sorry
3: ah! <laughs> just
1: a second someone's very hyped so yeah yeah they, they know we're talking about berserk yeah. So mm-hmm. when you are uh, looking at the the young uh, period of, Beers- of Gut's story, you can see his helmet is exactly the same as the helmet Rudger Hauer is uh, wearing during uh, during the movie. Except that Gut's helmet is in metal and Rudger Hour's helmet is made with um, with rubber, I think, yeah. okay. <laughs> something like that. that so sense. that's a uh, yeah yeah of course that's a uh, um, um, a rubber from a what is it from a car, something like that? So that's yeah, uh, yeah. that's very post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I always thought um, I always thought his helmet when he was younger, uh, when he was part of the raiding team, is it it's very sporty, right? It, it looks like, a, <laughs> like an American football helmet almost, which which must have been <laughs> an influence on the original uh, uh, source costume design. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: Cool, oh,
0: definitely. I just want to talk. Also, about... All right, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, and uh, no. Rudger Hour is not the most well-known, I would say, respected um, actors, because he did a lot of very, very, very bad movies. But he has something that we can find in uh, in Guts' character. is It's, the, it's the, the physicality. Rutger is very is a he's a tall guy. he's very muscular and very intimidating. He has you know, with his uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. He has he has a kind of look. That we can somehow find in, um, in in guts, not because guts is blown or something like that, but both characters in this kind of movie, when they talk, when they appear, everyone is either frightened or respect them. So that's also a common um, a common thing that we that we see uh, between them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I th- Howard, is, I, I think he's an underrated actor. Like he's a very good character actor. Mm-hmm. He, he's very um, uh, commanding, right? Yeah, yeah. He has that um that that presence to him. Um mm-hmm. he was popular for a hot minute in the 80s. Like he was also in uh, Lady Hawk, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. like a like a fun 80s classic. Um Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And uh, unfortunately he he died recently actually. Uh yeah, he died so in 2019 was... and one of the last roles actually was uh, in a video game and um uh a cyberpunk uh story where he plays a detective and uh, since it's a first person movie he only uh we can only have his voice but that's that's one of his life of his uh last uh, performances so i, I find back the, the 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 game and we'll tell you later in the podcast
0: okay, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. cool yeah I, um <clears throat> so i think in, in interviews um yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Mira himself, he said he he likes sort of the these heroes that uh, um, have that sort of stoic uh, strength to them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was a big influence on on Guts. And then I think you know, like sort of um, su- superficially, there's a lot of similarities at a glance, right? Like like Howard's pretty big dude, uh, pretty statuesque. But um, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously Guts isn't like blonde and blue eyed, but um, I, I think there is a character in Berserk that looks even more directly based off of, of Rudger Hauer, and that's uh, Gambino. Right? Yes,
3: oh, Gambino <laughs> yeah, is a nice, like,
0: carbon copy yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, Rudger Hauer. So mm-hmm. I, I think that was cool. sort of a, another homage in there, right? Like he's literally his father figure in the story. Mm.
2: Yeah. The whole mercenary thing as well. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: that...
1: I didn't make I didn't sew it, but just yes, that makes absolute it, sense. It actually
2: never <laughs> occurred to me until
0: uh, I, I recently reread it. And I was like, holy moly, like, even his hairline mm-hmm. is like really similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. that made me think, actually, I, I think sort of, um, and Miro will has never said this in an interv- interview, but I think in, in some ways, Guts is, you know, clearly like an idealized version of, of himself, right? Because he. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, they look similar.
0: Yeah, they, uh, Mira actually has a very uh, square, um, uh, similar head shape, and their hair is like exactly the same. I think uh, I think Guts is really. Yeah, they the,
4: raise they raise their eyebrow the same way. Like when you look up the photos of like oh here's like young Mura accepting a award, yeah. he's got like he's not trying to look cocky or anything. Like with standing next to like anyway, but he's really making like that like Guts smirky face. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. Yeah, and um, which is also funny because I think Mira also um, parodied himself in, in the comic. He 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 likes to say Pippin is based off of him. Yeah, Pippin's yeah. like a caricature of himself, <laughs> like a giant stocky dude, really exaggerated um, his own future. So I, I feel like Guts is the ideal and Pippin is sort of the caricature of himself within the series. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mira said that uh, he took inspiration from people around him, like real people, to yeah. be able to make them very different f- from a, a face standpoint. So that's that's very funny that he took inspiration from people like around <laughs> around him, literally around him. Yeah. That's super cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just <laughs> put in a photo there, just of that exact comparison that you made with yeah. regard to you know like Mira and Pip themselves, and it's just yeah, it's very very stark just when you but, see it put together like that.
1: I must say that I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, I would say that knowing that he based Pippin on his own face, he gave Pippin a super cool finish time, if you see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Pippin yeah. is a super cool character, and uh, when uh, when he dies, because at some point he dies, uh how oh, is so cool. <laughs> He's so cool. <laughs> During this scene, I was like, hmm. Knowing this yeah. it has a it, it it has another feeling you know it gives a another perspective
2: yeah, apparently, I'm just reading something now apparently um Mira actually did admit at some stage that there were only about five characters in the story that he made based on characters that were his friends and that you know in real life so like about yeah. only about five people overall were based on anyone that was you know real like in the real world so it's it's quite interesting. I wonder who those are who those, were and who uh, those were they're the yeah.
4: the core members of the band of the Hulk, uh, uh, it's except it's for Katska.
2: Yeah. yeah i believe uh, it, was, it says here as well like one of them was um based on a relationship uh, and a dynamic rivalry had with a friend and that was the whole thing with like Goodson and griffiths as well yeah interesting.
4: i think that uh that's the the other manga artist koji mori um, oh, like okay. I think he yeah. just straight up says like uh, not, in an interview like I I don't remember which one but it's they just straight up say or Mira is saying something about how Koji Mori and him they're both uh, guts and Griffith based on like who's uh, ahead of the other at that moment mm-hmm. so it's like uh, his friends from high school um, like from kind of the person or or college yeah. okay yeah. Uh, they formed like the core personalities of the band of the Hawk, but it's more like, uh, like, it's not like exactly this person is only this person. It's more like, you know, when they're winning, they're Griffith, like when they're losing they their guts and struggling, or they're the uh, the Griffith who's just going to do anything to win.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, um, there's a great interview. If you uh, look up a blog called Manga Brog, that's M A N G A B R O G. There's a really good interview with Mira where he talks about all all of this. How um, you know, Band of the Hawk was based off of uh, his friends from college, and um, let's see, uh, he said um, he said the only difference is there wasn't really like a Griffith or guts in the group. Um, But he said, like, there was a guy really similar to Judo. We had a Crocus and a Rickert. (laughs) No Casca, though, because it was all dudes. And then he said, uh, Hmm. Pippin is me. Uh, But then he goes on to say, you know, like, uh, uh, Guts and Griffith, um, there are parts of him and other people in them, right? Like, sometimes he has thoughts like Guts. Sometimes he has thoughts like uh, Griffith. Uh, But then... You know, he does later in the same interview go on to talk about, like, okay, well, actually, like, there was a particularly Griffith-like person, and they, they had a rivalry. So um, this was sort of, like, uh, seemed, seemed like the, 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 the golden boy of the group. This guy was good at everything, but apparently, like, he couldn't quite beat Mura at just pure drawing skill. Right. <laughs> so then in the interview, he says, like, so, you know, he did other stuff. Like, he'd say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to like sleep with a hundred girls. I'm going to become a ladies' man. And then he'd do it. And then, like, you know, like, uh, apparently he, um, uh, he still became an artist anyways. And then he became like a really in demand uh, illustrator. Um, so he, he, he was like super successful at everything he did. And, I guess who who was the artist that they that, that people think may have been the real life Griffith?
3: Well, it
4: might be Koji Mori, like uh like they do uh, like Mira and him, they do meet up in interviews where they talk about other artists. Mm, okay. Um But then there's also like I'm not exactly sure. If I had the interview right in front of me, I could just check. Uh let's
3: see. yeah
1: while, while you're checking i'm just going to add and uh, to close the, the movie part yeah, yeah, yeah that you you can you can also find um you know when maybe people don't know that but um i don't know in the english edition but in the french edition they added the short story that Mura did for um i think it was for um to present berserk and uh, so it's uh I I think like Thirty-two pages, uh, kind of intro of what Berserk is and uh, and yeah, the proto of Berserk and uh, the, the the yeah the prototype and the, the Mad Max. There's also big Mad Max vibe inside mm-hmm. this, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mura also said that Mad Max was one of the big influences for this. And if you uh, go and look to and go and read the prototype, you'll see that the. Um, what we talked about the, the 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 influences of the the movies are way more present in the prototype than in the in the final uh manga because it probably like took some i would say uh, distance from the direct influences so it will be less apparent i suppose and uh so that's it i think that's uh that's the thing i wanted to say of course there are also a lot of other movies but we'll probably talk about them maybe a bit later in the um,
0: in the show yeah yeah lots of other movies to cover yeah yeah the um mm-hmm. it, in english they just call it berserk the prototype um yeah and it, it mm-hmm. was a a, mm-hmm. a bonus in volume 14 published by a dark horse comics mm-hmm. if you're reading along in in the english language editions okay
3: yeah. cool
1: so that's i think that's all for the 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 first i would say influences the basic influences that appeared in the prototype and then were carried over in the in the final manga Hmm. so what do you want to talk about next i I just want to mention
0: a movie that was not an influence but it was just had a lot of coincidences and that was a uh, evil dead 2 um oh yeah yeah in in an interview uh, mira said that uh, so he's actually a big sam raimi fan like he loves dark man and so like he he even enjoyed um you know like spider-man and his modern movies he, he's a huge sam raimi fan and uh, so he was already drawing berserk when evil dead 2 came out and hmm. you know he, as he was watching the movie he was like oh my god like this guy loses an arm and then he like replaces you know he has gets a prosthetic arm and then he carries like a giant chainsaw on his back he's like oh no i'm, I'm, I'm gonna get sued by sam raimi <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that, yeah and then sort of uh, so another um humongous uh, uh coincidence that um again like sometimes people point to this as a, oh, this must have been an inspiration, but um, he, he did not, he was not aware of this when he started drawing Berserk. There was actually a historical figure named uh, Gottfried von Berling, um, I, I I can't uh, say German stuff, Berling, Berlinkingen. Anyways, his nickname was actually Guts uh, This was a, a yes. knight uh, with a, a metal hand. He was called um, Guts of the Iron Hand. And he led a group mm-hmm. of mercenaries and he was famous
2: for his uh, metal hand. Yeah, yeah. I, oh man, this is perfect. I I watched a video exactly about this. This this night was absolutely amazing. Like he even popular popularized the the term like "kiss my ass." Yeah. Like that's that's literally where it comes. It's, it's where it comes from. It comes from this guy. He yeah. uh, someone came up to him. At his window, and they were like, "Hey, we need you to like come to like the town to like be arrested or something, or we need you at once." And he was like, "Tell the Duke of some of such and such a place to kiss my ass." And everyone was like, "What the?" Like it was like it was crazy. But um, this <laughs> person is absolutely ridiculous, like just historically like they had their arm blown off by like, a cannon, and they were a really like fierce fighter who utilized I think it was their right arm to fight, but they were obviously very proficient, and they got re-inspired by seeing someone else fight on the battlefield with one arm as well. And they were like, you know what, it's okay. Like, I have this um, disability now, it's fine. I'm going to figure out a way to make this work for me. Fighting's my whole life, I'm going to continue to do it, you know? So they had someone make an actual real-life hand, which still, I think still exists in Germany right now, I think. Like, they had a real like metal hand made with, like, full gripping motion and all the rest of it. And, yeah, like, it, it worked, you know? Obviously not with the whole, uh, you know, flipping down at the wrist and shooting out a cannon arms, <laughs> but it was very useful. you know, as a prosthetic in the in these times, and it did indeed help this person out to you know fight. And I believe that they lived to like some sometime in their eighties. I believe they lived a very long life for that period of time as well. Uh, yeah, so as yeah, a, a very well lived period of time, very very full life. He lived
1: like something about like fifty years. He was he did de- he-, he died in uh, I don't
3: know, well, uh
1: 15 1562 but he was born in uh 1480 so he lived like 80 years 82 yeah, like, years in
2: the age,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: wow that's ancient <laughs> wow. back then yeah like, absolutely wow. that's what i'm saying yeah like just in terms of how it is that we see like age and all the rest of it now it's like just mm. absolute mass disparities in, you know how often people would be living (laughs) back then it would be common to die in like your 20s and 30s like so that's just yeah it's it's amazing oh my god
1: he 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 was in campaigns during a period of 47 years the guy (laughs) came to battle for 47 years (laughs) half his life
2: Uh, wow Mm. there are there are plays to this day about um Mm. about this person as well they they do a musical theater about the the stories of god's life yeah really interesting
1: wow i've never yeah, heard there's... about him that's amazing
2: <laughs> he's literally called gods of, god of the iron hand like literally called that yeah
1: mm. gods von berlick schingen schingen berlingen yeah. Berlinkingen. oh my god that's hard oh and there's a movie okay
2: yeah yeah. i'm telling you this is a very um yeah this, this is a i guess for all of our like Podcast listeners in Germany, I suppose. We're butchering the name, of course. So apologies mm-hmm. for that. Well, I mean, Sorry, uh. yeah, I'm, I'm sure you will. I'm sure they will have heard of this um, of this person throughout. You know, just living life and you know the fables and tales that we have connected to people throughout history. So, yeah, it's it's, oh. a, it's amazing. And funn- funnily enough, of all things, you know, Mira had no clue who this yeah. person was. I <laughs> yeah. had no idea that this was the story and honestly like this this is one of the most funny things about life really just the synchronicity of it all and how it is that some of the things that we make end up you know mirroring life in ways that we don't understand it's really interesting to me Yeah.
1: <laughs> i love this anecdote i love it thank you guys i've never heard of this
2: <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, yeah. so fun. funny as well R- richmond <laughs> hopped in. i was going to mention this later but like richmond just like went right in <laughs> but yeah yeah
1: and the, the fact that this guy uh, is known for, you can lick my ass, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so guts yeah. also. Yeah. Because, you know, it yeah. he could, he could be just a guy, you know, with an iron yeah. hand, but actually he was also super vulgar. <laughs> so that yeah, yeah, fits yeah. the character so much. Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's Uh, literally yeah yeah. It later yeah later on just becomes a term kiss my ass, which is it's crazy to think
1: about. Yeah. way better than Jamie Lannister, if you ask me. Way better. Oh god. That's incredible. That's incredible. Do we have another thing about guts? Because I wanted to talk about Griffith and I really want some perspective from you guys because I feel that the... Well, do we have another thing on gut before we talk about Griffith?
0: Know. Yeah, let's, let's get to it.
1: Okay, because I feel that Professor Andy is going to find a lot... Maybe has already found a lot of things related to mythology and the, the way basically how Griffith is presented in the manga yeah. is very, I will say, like biblical or mythologic. Like is way too pretty for his uh, own good. He's way too pretty for the people around him and the period he lives in. And uh, he has a kind of, I would say, seductive or dominative uh, way of working with people. He's basically like the, and that's the whole story, that's his whole story, the idea of this guy that rise from the the lower class and becomes this, this holy figure that's going to conquer the world and hone uh, his own country and things like that. That's something that I, I don't know any direct references, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of them. So, can you can you unlight me, please?
4: Well, like uh, just having a, a very pretty, like, blessed man rising up and then, like, defeating a very strong, rugged man, like, uh in japan the the most i guess important historical semi-historical mythical conflict would be when like uh yoshitsune fights benkei and yoshitsune is always described as like very feminine and then benkei is like super masculine with gigantic weapons and uh like yoshitsune defeats benkei with his like Normal size sword against like uh, Benkei's massive weapons, and then mm. Benkei fights for him until the end, and they all die. Oh, wow! <laughs> uh... a...
1: oh, okay, so that that makes uh, almost a direct reference to the the start. Well, the the meeting between Guts and uh, and Griffith actually, where Griffith also <laughs> has such a small sword that um, uh, Guts yeah. refers to it like a, a, as a toothpick. And yeah. uh, and when they fight, um, that's actually Griffith who wins, despite the the size of the sword, uh, despite Guts having a, an incredible big sword.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
4: so. even um, Benkei's backstory is like he's kind of like a wild child. He's uh, ever since he was young, he's really strong. There's like artwork of him like picking up like an unfinished blade and like just smashing a temple with it.
0: Mm. Yeah, if if you Google uh, Yoshitsune uh, versus Benkei, like there's so many uh, famous paintings of uh, their famous duel on a bridge, and it's 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 a stark contrast between the two because you you have you know Benkei is this giant like uh, muscular, uh, heavily armed man, and uh, yeah, Yoshitsune is always like you know this 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 beautiful. Um, uh, white figure basically he, yeah just he looks like he's <laughs> yeah. glowing he looks like he's just super be shown yeah.
1: uh just uh, the so the battle in the, I don't know the story but the battle happens on a bridge that's the yeah. Uh, yeah. that's the story. Mm-hmm. because you know when the when guts and um and uh, griffith fight for the first time they're on a hill so we're watching them the, the other people are also uh, of the bone of the Hulk are watching them from um from uh down from the the down on the hill and so that's a lot the, the same you know presentation like they are up in the air they are fighting together and eventually they fall I don't know if they fall during the their fight but uh, that's uh that's yeah a good finding I don't know if it's a coincidence or not but uh, that's uh yeah. that's striking so when you watch uh... it.
4: It's just like something that's just kind of in the background of like, well, like every Japanese in school would have like known this. So it's just like a a thing that's there. Then additional things are like, oh, like uh, Yoshitsune, he was able to walk on the air. That's how he defeated Benke. And Benke was like, oh, wow, this guy has like this guy has heavenly powers. Like he's not just a, a normal person. Like, mm-hmm. I follow him because he's, like, descended from heaven.
0: Yeah, that's why the the paintings of this scene, it's always Yoshitsune flying through the air, doing the first recorded double jump in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got that from Andy. That's how Andy put it for me years ago when he told me about say, this. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, I remember you guys mentioned this last time as well. It really is such a strange but, like, cool, just concept, right? Like, just, it's one thing to be able to kind of, like, jump, like, your own height, or do you even just, just be able to jump high? You know, like, as kids, everyone yeah. always just used to run around and jump around and stuff, and if you saw someone do, like, a big jump, that would be like, ooh, wow, that's cool, that's the really cool thing someone just did. But, like, the idea of actually, like, jumping, like, off, the air it's just it's just a mind-bending like mind-breaking idea of course it would seem like something that would stick around through history something yeah. that people have always not only just wanted to do but would be amazed at seeing because yeah it's like it just breaks uh, the it just breaks the laws of everything that you understand about the world around you so yeah, yeah really really cool like visual like aesthetic yeah really interesting
1: stuff hmm. what's funny also so uh, is that um sorry and go go like,
4: uh, they like, I guess some of the translations I've read of this scene, they reference, like, uh, oh, what Yoshitsune is doing is a skill from, like, ancient Chinese emperors of old. So there might be some older thing that this tale is referencing, too.
3: Mm-hmm. But,
4: um, like, in general, air walking is kind of like a metaphor of, like, ascending to heaven because you're, you're so awesome and, like you deserve to rule everyone.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> well,
1: that
4: that that fits the character. <laughs> I
2: was, yeah. was, was going to say there is there is a lot of that as well. It's the the idea of walking on something which isn't supposed to be walked on. You know, like walking on water. Yeah. like Jesus. Yeah. Like walking on air. Like, well it's always something. You know, that has been mm-hmm. very much perceived as this otherworldly. You know, feat because yeah, naturally we can't do it. Like that's why it is, it's so special. But it's like I've been thinking about this as well recently, just in terms of how it is that we um. Ascribe these feats to certain areas of like mythology. So for example, like all the dragons that like I grew up with here in England, for example, like, we for, on um, on like the Welsh like flag and stuff. There's like a big red dragon and stuff like that. Hmm. And it just make, it makes me think so often about the fact that like okay, that's what I grew up with as a dragon. You know, large red dragon with that wings and like the classic you know pointed tail and like you know big fangs and a giant head that breathes fire, all the rest of it. But then I I remember being like obsessed when I was younger with like dragons from like East Asia and stuff, and just being like whoa, like these dragons don't <laughs> even have wings. Like they just sort of like worm their way through the air, and <laughs> yeah. they fly like telekinetically. It seems so much cooler. I would always, always, and even even now, even even today, like I still prefer like that that kind of a visual. Like it's the idea of you know flying in a way that doesn't even make you know like physical sense. It's it's like flying with your mind kind of a thing, right? Like it's yeah. a huge part of why I love so many of the of the Pokemon designs, especially my favorite legendary, one of my favorites, Rayquaza. Again, it's it's that sky dragon that twists through the air and you know flies at mad speeds, but again, but without wings, without any, you know, conceivable, obviously, you know, it's not conceivable anyway, really, but with any really conceivable way that we would understand, that would, you know, facilitate flight. Yeah, really, really yeah. interesting stuff.
1: There's also, yeah. in, uh, in Berserk. there's also reference to flying for Griffith, because he always seemed lighter than hair in mm-hmm. in fights, you know. He always has his, um, his horse covered with uh, white sheets, and uh, um, in a lot of fights you can see him jumping around and sometimes like almost like flying above enemy soldiers and just going going and stabbing the enemy commander directly so there's a, there's this kind of you know yeah ascending and uh oddity about him like like he's not from this world at all absolutely Mm-mm.
2: absolutely mm. yeah you
4: know like um the Yoshitsune story it ends with him losing. He doesn't win despite all of his charm and like having this monstrous warrior, like they lose and they die. So you can also <laughs> say uh this uh berserk is almost like a what if scenario, you know, mm, yeah. what would it take for him to to survive? Uh yeah. <laughs> and then um yeah, there's like lots of uh, Japanese mythology of like the defeated, like haunting people, or like maybe they survived and they came back. Like uh, there was a uh, one theory of like, oh, this uh, defeated side, like it it might be related to Yoshitsune too. It's like, oh, he crossed the sea and then like then his like then he became Genghis Khan and then like his grandson invaded Japan. So, like, this idea of, like, the defeated coming back, or, like,
0: uh, Wait, what, you know, that, the person. Wasn't that, uh, uh, spoilers here, uh, In uh, I'm going to talk about King of Wolves, another Mura comic. Uh, wasn't that, like, actually, literally the plot of King of Wolves, <laughs> drawn by Kentaro well,
4: Mura? Uh I I haven't. Red king of wolves so i've just like seen the cool pictures i need to go read it oh, i'm sure i can okay. find it somewhere uh, okay. but um i know that it was like a rumored thing and like when once like uh, japan was like pretty well they were never that isolated really but once like they didn't really care about learning the other people's history it's more like hey maybe uh let's interpret it this way and then we'll make like plays and artwork of this cool interpretation hmm. um but yeah, it, that is uh, something similar happens with King of Wolves.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah,
0: definitely a, a, a thread there. Um, so something else I want to say about Griffith is uh, yeah, you know, like he's got, he is the hawk, right? It's the band of the hawk. He is the hawk, and he has that predatory look. He's always uh, depicted as angelic and bird like. He's got a feather motif, and. Um, uh, you yeah, know, I think that dovetails nicely with everything we're discussing. and then I think it's also a visual nod to um, uh, Satan from Devil Man. I, I think that it must have been a big influence on 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 berserk, right because again, visually you 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 have this one character very like, you know, just very, very light, like white hair, mm-hmm. white skin, like angelic and then the the main character um Clone's dark. Yeah, is very dark, and somehow this down-to-earth, you know, rustic main character mesmerizes this other, uh, you know, person that's supposed to be, uh, like, above everything, right, and they're, 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 they they're feel they're destined to rule the world, and really, like, the thing that chains them back to humanity, right, is is that um, yeah, they're, 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 they're more or less in love with this other character, right the main character um and yeah i, I think that that was a huge influence on, on on uh berserk just uh thematically and 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 visually
3: yeah yeah
4: oh like even going with that uh that hawk scene or the the hawk imagery like if you look at you know uh, griffith his hawk imagery then his servants like uh Zod, like this giant lion beast with wings and horns like it it looks a lot like uh, imagery from like a uh, ancient like persian iranian empire the what the Achaemenid empire not sure how to pronounce it like their symbol is a hawk of the sun and then like that's the part of the world where like you have those uh, guardian beasts of the horn lions with wings
0: wow nice That's
2: awesome yeah. how it fits together absolutely it's really it's really so interesting as well because it literally does happen to uh to with it like story-wise like always with the rising and falling do you know what i mean just like very very much someone who goes through like a significant amount of like trials and then like has a very uh not even just a catastrophic for everybody but like obviously they are but i mean like yeah just the just the ability to sort of like rise and fall like in so many ways for example like that it gets a little bit like rough here just like to mention this because it does mention a little bit of like sexual abuse and stuff but i mean like having that idea of griffith going to that um that lord and having to kind of like sell his body before like that big war so they would have funds to you know fight the actual war itself and not be able to, you know, like have to over recoup on money and have enough money to feed people, or to get people medical attention, all the rest of that. And then, like, Casca finds him crying in the river and, like, he's, like, ripping his, like, arm out and stuff like that. He's, like, digging into himself. Like, doing all of that, sort of, like, right before, like, a big battle, and then, like, getting his own, sort of, like, come up into the fact that he got to kill, like, that person as well. Like, you see a lot of that like within the character and it reminds me a lot of like the sort of phoenix like mythology in a sense the whole sort of you know like you the the a part of the self like it dies and then it becomes like a, a different version of the self and then it dies again because something terrible happens and then it becomes a different part of the self again like yeah that constant like birth and rebirth i think is something which was taken from so many areas of mythology but i, I think very specifically from areas of like greek mythology for sure and especially in terms of the character it's just it's very clear to me at least anyway that I can see that it's um that the influences there are very very stark yeah
3: yeah
0: absolutely oh man any, any hey, anything else to say about uh Griffith I know um I'm not super well versed in uh shoujo but uh, I I know um like Rose of Versailles
2: and other shoujo
0: manga must have been a big influence on him
2: at the very least uh, visually <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, oh. I, I gotta, I gotta say something that I just uh, read as well. I've not read this yet, but I want to actually. In doing all of the like, bits of research and stuff for this podcast, I've, I've come, I've come upon something which I didn't know existed. It's called, it's called Geen Saga. And like, people will have heard of this obviously. <laughs> and me, yeah. being, me stumbling upon all kinds of things. I was like, what is this? This is cool. But yeah, apparently there are these characters in, within this story which I have not read. They're called like Rinder and Remus Farcia And apparently, I was having a look. These people are characters who could have possibly helped influence Griffith, like at least like aesthetically. Like they have this platinum, like blonde-looking hair, and like they're very like attractive-looking, like aesthetically very like pretty in the face. And then like yeah, they they seem at least to be quite like I don't know. They seem to be kind of like heroic in in a sense. I I don't know. They they've got like a kind of just from the art that I'm looking at, they've got a kind of a, a powerful aura about them. And when I'm looking at pieces of artwork surrounding Griffith and stuff he's always in a pose or in a stance or in some sort of position that puts him like not only just like above somebody else but like it just makes him feel like a leader and I feel like they feel they seem similar too so yeah
0: yeah oh yeah yeah we gotta talk about Gwyn Saga Um, I Mm. I just read an interview earlier today Uh, Mira said that was probably the single biggest influence on on all of Berserk Um, (laughs) it's an epic epic fantasy series um, it started in 1979 and it went um, all the way through 2009. And it only stopped because, um, you know, tragically similar to Berserk, the, the author uh, just passed away. But this was uh, oh. uh, her life's work. Um, she intended it to be 100 volumes long from the outset, so it was super ambitious from the start. And then uh, when she you know, when she just had to stop because of just she couldn't physically keep going, uh, it was already up to the 130th volume. And uh, I believe, wow. according to Guinness, it's the singlest, single longest um, continuing series by a single author. And uh, it, it's just wow. a super, super epic, uh, dark uh, fantasy series. And it's um, the main hero, Gwyn, uh, has this iconic look. He's a warrior with a panther uh, head. He's a head of a really big cool, cat. Yeah. It's super cool looking. Reminds me of
2: um, reminds me reminds me of um so many different cool characters from things that I've seen. Yeah. But obviously one of my one of my uh, one of my favorite characters from from anything whatsoever. It's gotta be it's gotta be King from Tekken. Oh yeah. like that, that's a that's a big vibe right there. I just want to throw that in. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: I think uh, King from Tekken is like when I wanted to learn grappling, it's like, man, I wanna yeah. take off a whole life bar. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, like legit people with like double footed like, drop kicks and all the rest of it yeah
0: that's yeah. Really very cool uh, yeah real quick so so Saga, the author's name is uh kaoru kurimoto so um yeah if you if you want to look up more on Gwin Saga, uh yeah uh, gwyn is uh, g-u-i-n um mm-hmm. i think there was a manga adaptation that was translated into english and i believe they've mm-hmm. started to um i think some of the novels have been translated into english Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and mm-hmm. Mira, Mira said he started reading it uh, when he was in middle school, and he loved it, and he just continued reading it as he was drawing Berserk, <laughs> it was just something he continued mm-hmm. to look forward to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can also look at uh, Jun Suemi, the artist Jun yes. Suemi, who did a lot of illustrations for Green Saga, and uh, some of them are going to really, really make you uh, make the connection between the two, uh, the two stories, basically. If you look at uh if you really look at the Gwyn saga with uh, suemi uh illustrations it's obvious that um, there was a connection
0: yeah and uh, <laughs> Jun suemi is just one of the great uh, uh fantasy artists um yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. one of the most um influential in, in japan for sure
4: did he kind of define that like big plate style where like
0: he was one of the... you
4: separate the yeah, like uh, the big pauldrons, and then the the chest is is like a different plate from the pectorals.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, um. I I think you. So I think in the '80s there was a huge uh, uh, surge in 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 fantasy, right, in in Japan, and. Um, yeah, they, they yeah. were starting to get, like, D&D and various novels. Yeah, and uh, Lodos
1: yes. also was starting yes. to take... Um... Yeah, Lodos is basically with the Green Saga, the first, uh, the proto-fantasy um, setting in Japan, I think. I, I don't know yeah. which one came first. Oh, it's, it's... Yeah, Lodos came in the early 90s, so uh, uh, it was really... The, the OAV was yeah, yeah. early nineteenth, but yeah. Lodos started as... Um, as a writing of if i remember correctly lodos was basically just a, a kind of writing of the 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 Gameplay, of the, of, the, of, the, of of plays of d play of dungeons and dragon plays and uh, the yeah. story was written from the the the, the games that yeah. were played and after that it created its own kind of universe basically which is very inspired by dungeon dragon but i think yeah. it started like uh, yeah we we played this game and so that's the that's what happens what happened
4: uh, yeah sword world is their setting yeah i believe it's sword world yeah and I mean, a funny story with lotus war is like parts of lotus war make you go like what the- that's so shocking it doesn't make any sense like uh, what happened to woodchuck yeah I was like yeah that was definitely yeah. they they rolled like some dice on the table to see what happened and then they had to stick with it
0: someone killed their their save roll massively and it, it it changed the course of lotus history forever because as a kid i was like what what
4: like, like... that beautiful woman in in that man's body what nobody <laughs> nobody
0: saw that coming yeah
4: mm-hmm.
0: um yeah yeah it, it was originally published as replay of lotus wars and it was uh, um serialized in a magazine from 1986 to 88 in uh comp mm-hmm. comp magazine yeah. before uh, they they uh, collected it into novels
4: yeah um, i want to get my hands on all those old like late 70s 80s magazines so uh, because uh i've se- i've I have like one of them but uh i don't maybe it's with richmond now but like i just uh it's interesting to see like what influences they're getting like there were like advertisements for like uh like fantasy miniatures from like uh the western world so you had like i don't think it was directly warhammer stuff but it was like fantasy adventure stuff in these model magazines that like the ones running today now they're all filled with like you know gunpla and like anime figures but they they had a lot more western influence in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, yeah
0: oh and the um the artist the original artist for lotus wars was a uh, yutaka izubuchi um so if you watch the ovas uh, uh you know the the character designer on the ovas was uh, nobutero yuki who's an aw- yeah. awesome artist but um the actual core designs he was working off of he was adapting from were by uh, yutaka izubuchi and uh, Andy, I think that's—he's—he's he's one of the main proponents of massive pauldrons in in modern fantasy, alongside. Yeah,
4: he's—he's uh, he's also like a prolific mecha designer, yeah. and he's like okay. all of the the big pauldron, like iconic Xeon mobile suits, are from him. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Oh, and he uh, created and directed a uh, Rozifon too.
1: Oh, I love Rozifon. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting part of history to look into look up the uh, 80s uh, japanese uh, tabletop RPG mm-hmm. stuff because they um they they started getting D and D and stuff but very quickly they started adapting the art in a very different direction it's, it's really cool to, mm-hmm. to follow well, um, even
4: uh the mechanics like got really different um immediately like it seems uh, i didn't know that like from what i've heard like like uh from people who like studied i guess rpg design in japan their history like in the us it would be like people who meet every week every week but then in japan it'd be like more likely they meet once a month so they want to get more like stuff like uh, a plot moving forward like in their in their one session instead of like going a blow uh, blow by blow and um one of the things that like quickly grew in uh, japanese tabletop rpgs is like uh I guess you can call it like meta mechanics or like narrative mechanics of, of not just like, okay, like I move 30 feet down this 50 foot tunnel, but it's more like, uh, abstracting that to like, did I get the treasure or not? Or like, what is the emotional impact of this scene? And, and like, mm-hmm. do I get like bonus dice for, for like finally confronting this person that I said is like the reason my character is adventuring. Mm. Yeah, I see. Like, uh, the the game that really did that first is uh Q Maya. he does a lot of manga and mecha designs but he did a Tenra Bancho 0 and uh, that that's been translated into English so you guys like can go look at it, it as nice artwork but it's cool that like uh, the artist like he illustrated everything he wrote everything and he wrote this like really interesting game mechanics about like karmic weight of your actions and like if you can uh, let go of your actions or not, or can you become, like, uh, like you can lose your character by becoming too obsessive about their goal, but then they can achieve their goal, but then they become an NPC because they're karma overflows. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
3: That's
1: super funny. Yeah. That's super funny. But I wanted to add something. I've read the, one of the Lotus manga, actually was published in France, and somehow I managed to get one before it was... Uh, not available and it was um Rio Mizuno who did a lot of uh, Lodos manga and they are quite good too so if you if you like the Lodos universe uh, I think one of the one of those that I read is The Lady of Phallis oh, which yes. takes place before the OAVs. and uh, what I really love about Lodos too is how it influences it, it influences it basically all the the work of Nobuteru Yuki in the OAV from 1991. It basically defined the world aesthetics. For example, for elves and dwarves in almost all anime and manga that we know today. Like the very long, pointy ears of elves, for example, that you will see in every um, in every anime that takes place in fantasy or in a, in an MMORPG, for example in an Isekai anime or something like that. Uh, it comes from this. It basically is from this. So uh that's uh that's a very interesting thing and if you ever want to, to watch them uh the OIVs they, they have a, a kind of they're not they're not a lot of animation in them but it's very pretty, very detailed. And uh yeah that's uh it's very slow in my memory but I remember buying it because in France they they, they republished they published it for the first time in 2001 I think in DVDs and they were surfing on the lord of the rings vibe you know oh, okay. <laughs> being yeah. like oh everyone loves the lord of the rings what can we buy from japan that is lord of the rings and so they bought the oav and they d- divided everything in three dvd boxes so it was super expensive to buy oh. and i bought them and i was like yay lord of the rings but yeah. manga you know <laughs> and i was like what is this? It, it's not, it's a super yeah. slow show, and it's very different in tone and the the stories. Oh, yeah, so it's a big tangent that we're doing there. But uh, yeah, watch them. It's very interesting, just for your culture. If you're curious about uh, fantasy and Japan, that's uh, that's something you should
4: probably watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh and then um, the the Lotus War manga that you read, uh, Lady of Ferris. It's by yeah. uh, Akihiro Yamada. He's the Yamada. Artist. He um the, the, artist, he was the is artist.
0: Akihiro Yamada. Yeah.
4: Okay, sorry he did, for um, He did the uh, Japanese wizardry art, so he was already like experienced with that. Yeah. Then he, uh, he did Front Mission 3's character designs, and I think he did one of the Castlevania's. Uh, yeah, Castlevania Dracula X. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite. It has nice art.
0: Yeah. yeah. If, if you that's... like Berserk, uh, definitely track down Lotus Wars, uh, Lady of uh, Ferris it's an awesome mm-hmm. awesome comic and it, it's it's a bit darker in tone than the ovas it feels more like uh conan you know like uh mm. then uh, it's more more swords and sandals gritty action than like uh, super high fantasy mm. yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah it actually reminds me a little bit of the of the movies with with rudger hour that we yeah. talked about yeah. first you know the the gritty tone the the there's fantasy but it's not like super high fantasy it's very medieval too yeah. so yeah
0: yeah yeah just to bring it back <sighs> to berserk if you enjoy berserk you'll probably enjoy uh, lady of ferris
3: yeah.
0: and and you know all of this is also to give you context for um what berserk was coming out um like what was all already in the air, right? Because uh, by mm. by eighty nine, when Berserk came out, um, I I think just sort of this Japanese flavor of fantasy had already become quite distinct, right? And then uh, I think Berserk, you know, built on top of like Jun Suemi and uh, you know the, the yeah uh, the work that he did with uh, for Gwyn Saga and he took it in an even darker mm. direction. Yeah.
1: Does a does when you look at the 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 it, colored. Illustration of Berserk, and you put them side by side with Jun Sui work on Gwyn Saga. I think there's a there's a bit of a connection sometimes because we the the, the, the way it's painted, the way the, the comp- composition works, it's um, there's a connection there. And I'm just not saying that because it's fantasy <laughs> both and, and that, but yeah,
4: yeah, the the way like they have that kind of like warm blowiness around their characters mm. like it's not like a super defined background but you just kind of feel what kind of light they're in or what they're feeling
3: yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so so much to cover here uh, what... <laughs> yeah, yeah. i know right there's yeah. just so
2: much stuff going on i want to mm-hmm. mention this very quickly actually but um i actually didn't know this until right now but uh, I'm not sure how would you say it is. is it is it is it Gine Saga or is it Gine Saga? But yeah, whichever one of those pronunciations is correct, it has a, an anime I believe, and the musical composition they they're handled by Nobuo Umatsu and oh, it's nice. like oh my goodness, like all of the ways in which these things sort of like you know link back and forth together. We were speaking just last time on the other episode. You can probably check that out on the site for anyone that's listening or anyone else that wants to go backwards in time, and check that out. Yeah. But we mentioned Final Fantasy a lot, and I remember talking about the fact that I, I want to play these games, and I haven't like yet, but I need to play a bunch of them. But I know a lot of the music, and I know for a fact that like now, just hearing and seeing that like obviously we have such a like a legend working on this, and that the fact that I like the way that it looks already, I'm probably going to enjoy a lot of the music that I hear. So. Yeah, it's just really cool to see how all these things link together, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about another influence since we are in painters and things like that. That's good. Uh, yeah. And that's that's a very, very obvious one. Obvious to the point that one of the paintings of this artist is actually inside Berserk at some point during the, the late, uh, the late um, volumes. And of course it's uh, Jeronimus Bosch. So you I um some people call call him J- uh, Jerome Bosch, I think, but it's Jeronimus Bosch. Or maybe there's the Jerome Bosch, maybe I'm I'm confused. But basically you probably know him because he drew um he drew uh he painted sorry did not drew it, he painted um a three part painting about um I think it's um like uh heaven hell and uh something else and those three oh, yeah. th- those three paintings are absolutely just just like google euronymous bosch and you're going to <laughs> understand a lot about the the imagery uh about monsters and i will say also about the 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 wall you know in bersang there's without spoiling too much there's a kind of um Second world, I would say, or parallel world, where things happen, where maybe surreal. Out of this world beings live, basically. We'll say this, and um, I feel that the the work of Hieronymus uh, Bosch influenced a, li- a lot this uh, this universe, this side universe of Berserk, because when you see the the the, the part of the eclipse, for example, with a lot of things happening you know it's uh it's there's a lot of small creatures big creatures and mixing it, it's a mix sometimes between the apostles of bersag are sometimes a mix between animals uh, or creatures with humans and there's something that's something that your bosch was also doing a lot so there's um yes thank you uh thank you adam so the the painting it's called the garden of earthly delights and uh, <laughs> this painting—it's—it's it's a very big painting. I've seen reproduction, uh, you know, at the correct size. There's so many things happening in these paintings <laughs> that you don't—you can't really get them. All at once, yeah. Yeah, you—you you, you have to really get close to them and analyze them because a lot, lot, lot of things are happening inside this. Like yeah. people mixing with animals, people eat, eating them themselves, uh, or each others. Wow, that's uh hmm. that that's yeah, someone there's naked a... trapped inside a claw for some
4: reason. Mm-hmm. And it was I think a... there's
1: some... yeah. so Do you, that, you remember the...
3: that
4: that little naked like that little head with two legs? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure I posted
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, I posted it in the uh, in the in the channel, yeah, that's typically the kind of uh, of things that you will see from uh, from Bo- that are Bosch and in- direct influences. Mm, but so yeah, from- <laughs> this dog with two <laughs> with two legs. I- Richman, yeah. I think you're breathing in your microphone. Sorry.
2: Thank you. Thank you for catching <laughs> no, that. Cool, cool. Okay i was going to mention this too actually yeah this is perfect so i wanted to hop in on the artistic influences like section but there are so many influences of like other prior artists on uh, on mirrors berserk it's great like you mentioned one of them which is great like bosch was absolutely a massive influence for those who don't know Bosch was a 15th century um, dutch painter who was quite popular for like horrifying and surreal depictions of hell so in case you're like just wondering about like you know this normal the, the, the normalization of this this was quite a common thing to be drawing back then but especially <laughs> in terms of like the ideas of like what people would perceive religion to be and like their own imaginations and things like that we did, they didn't have all of the sort of like technology that we do now obviously with regards to like rendering and like knowing how it is to create all these vast depictions of like otherworldly like you know ideals and beings and all the rest of it so I mean like when people would see things like this back then it stuck with them and it sticks with us right Mm. now like when we're looking so definitely go into it with the mindset of like okay I'm about to see some weird things but it's gonna be okay cool
3: yeah you'll
2: you'll 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 be all right you'll be all good but um also another thing which is interesting too uh, there's a lot of other works like I said before that have been influenced by prior artists for example uh, MC Escher uh, very yeah. famous for like complex and like thought-provoking prints, often of like you know staircases that bend backwards on themselves almost in like mobius strip type fashion lots of upside down like walkways and all the rest of it that's sort of twisting uh you know tessellate in all kinds of strange ways but of course where we first uh you know notice and see the god hand they're surrounded by staircases that twist and turn at all sorts of mm. angles and yeah this is one of the most uh, obvious most clear yeah thomas has put it in there i was going to put it mm-hmm. in too but yeah, one of the most obvious and like clear uh, depictions of someone else's like idea in a sense, but only taken mm-hmm. and like utilized for their own purpose. It's really good actually, because mm-hmm. it kind of captures the way in which like the God Hand like make you feel when you first see them. One of my favorite things about like the utilization of the M C Escher sort of like idea and work, the fact that like a lot of the work didn't make sense until you really sort of like tried to look at it very hard. Like when we see the God Hand, they're all stood. In their own sort of like sort of what's the best way what's the best way to put it? Um, they all have a sense of gravity that is relative to where it is they stood in the world, but the world in which they're standing in is twisting and turning in so many different ways. So it can only make you imagine are they either so strong that they have their own sort of like their own sort of like pull proportional to where it is that stood so they could be like all right i'm just gonna hover upside down and like i'm gonna create my own force of gravity to pull me upwards instead of down or like, left instead of right all the rest of it or they're just like flying and just like flexing on everybody because it, it just looks cool you know what i mean so it, it's really interesting mm-hmm. to think about like the way in which that works but you'd have to see the image a bit more to get a bit better of an understanding but yeah that's another one and then another one which i wanted to mention as well of course uh geiger so uh yeah like designing xenomorphs and aliens and all the rest of it obviously you know this you you know that a lot of this is gonna be crossing over into the sort of um Best way to put it, since it's sort of the body armor and the, the and the exoskeleton-like suits that the that the God Hand seems to inhabit, but not just the God Hand themselves. A lot of the Apostles have sort of like shell armor, shell bodies, sort of like bug-like, snake-like. Um, even some sometimes just they're more amorphous forms and shapes. They kind of remind me of like the alien type designs for example i'm going to post them in now but they have really interesting like body shapes and like really strange sort of like contorted like exoskeletons that like twist around their own like bodies and all the rest of it. it it makes me think so much i mean it makes me think a lot of like how it is that berserk would look if it was if it was um if it came out as like a live action movie like, back in that time do you know what I mean so like mm-hmm. for example the kind of like practical effects that they would have utilized and all the rest of it what the, what the costume designs would have looked like what some of the effects yeah. might have been for the rest of it i think about this on a on a regular basis now since we've been doing this uh this area of the podcast and stuff but yeah I, it really would have been quite interesting because you can tell that there's that there are certain contours and shapes and areas of volume that like the character designs have and it makes you think so often about things which you've literally seen before like the xenomorph characters for example in um, in alien the ridges on their bodies the divots and like all of the crevices and all the rest of it these are very clear on the god Hans bodies do you know what i mean they've got these they've mm-hmm. got ridges like bugs and exoskeletons like them as well it's really interesting interesting to look at and i think that's a very large influence there as well yeah they're uh
4: like especially in alien they're like uh they're big penis monsters. They're supposed they to frighten you to. in that way, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. like, that's a lot of those like mm-hmm. medieval demons. They are like penis monsters. They they didn't shy away from depicting those gross, mm-hmm. like uncouth parts. And like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's like 1800s artwork you can find of like penis demons and and then like people swinging around penis swords <laughs> and fighting yeah. demons with. Like just uh, pretty vulgar, but uh, but no, then absolutely. it's it's all kind of there.
1: Mm-mm. I shouldn't have googled Penny's demons. Following,
2: oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Don't do yeah. One. But that, that leads yeah, to then... that you mentioned, actually, yeah, like just very very quickly and briefly. This is again one of the more like disturbing and like gross parts like of the manga itself. But a, yeah. lot of the, a lot of the manga, like, it does obviously, you know, reference, like, sex and everything else regarding this. But a lot of the time, it seems that the more interesting areas of this, they, they draw back to other artistic references from hmm. lots of other eyes. So, for example, like, even the Hokusai, like, people don't know. Well, not some people don't know, but a lot of people don't know the Hokusai after being, you know, best known for, like, the, the Great Wave of Kanagawa. Like, obviously, that's a very beautiful piece of artwork. But, like, I also drew a lot of pornography, which is really interesting, because it's, like, it's not something that a lot of people, like, think about and know. And it's really quite odd to me, just the fact that, like, we can have something that is so... What's the word for it? It introduces an area of, like, sexuality and artistry that, like, gets mixed together in ways that, like, sort of are etched into the mind of, like, the reader. Yeah. But it's also something that is, like, you know, a constant throughout areas of artistic history. Like, people always yeah. draw like animals with human beings and they do so in ways that are kind of really not only just like interesting to look at in a kind of like shock factor sense but also just like artistically as well like the freedom yeah. like the creativity of it all like it's really just kind of like oh huh like that's interesting to look at like what the like huh okay like yeah think a little bit yeah
4: that genre it's uh called shunga so you can find lots of it uh, online um like uh, Picasso collected it, he was into it, and uh, like those like 17, 1800s, like erotic manga artists, like they were very creative. Like uh, yeah. they had like uh, they set up the books where like oh, like here's this this sexy lady. Well, no, she's in her nice kimono, but you can like flip the book and then her clothes, like uh, the kimono page, comes off. <laughs> It even gets like hyper specific, like uh even x rays. Like here's a print of these two people banging. Now here's another print where it's like their skeletons and you can see where his penis is. Like wow, yeah. this is really weird. Like these guys were like very competitive, I guess, to to think of these things. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, for real? So, oh, i got one more. I've got one more very quickly. Just um yeah. some of the other berserk, some of the other areas of berserk and places that I haven't actually read up on yet. Like, I'm just looking up now. They remind me so, so, so much of, like, prior works from, like, lots of Scandinavian illustrators. So, for example, like, this very, yeah. this very specific, like, fairy tale look. I'm working on a project at the moment right now. I've shown this a little bit to Richmond and stuff. But, I mean, I love, like, this type of, like, art very specifically. So, there are lots of artists, for example, like, Jean Bauer or Gustav Tengren, like, so many people that, like, I really love the works of. And it just makes me think, like, I really think that Mira got a big, like, chunk of inspiration from these artists and their ability to not only just show nature off in such a ethereal and, like, mystical way, but just in terms of, like, getting the ability to create this foliage that speaks life in and of itself. Like, for example, the way in which, like, Mira draws trees or like plant life, or just grass even, like, I I love looking at it, for example, I love to pixel, like, moss, I I love, like, putting overgrown, like, you know, like, scenarios into my work and stuff, but moss is something which I've always just loved looking at, I love painting it, I love feeling it with my hands, I just love moss, I love love it a lot, but Miura does the same kind of a thing with, like, leaves, and especially with bark as well, like his his work regarding trees is something that I've always been really interested in. As soon as I saw it, and now that I've been looking into a few more of the like Scandinavian illustration too, like yeah, it, the the uh, the references are quite stark there, definitely. So I think if I think if Richmond can like post a couple of these, it'll make a bit more sense. Maybe do like a a, a little cut out thread after we post this, but yeah, it, it's definitely like right there if you if you have a look.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: also like uh, a lot of this these artists from like the 1500s it seems to be when it gets really like strange and freaky Uh, there's a theory that it part of it might have come from a psychedelic fungus that was like infecting grains and then spread around called uh, ergot fungus because there's like the outbreak of this fungus and it has LSD type effects once it's baked into bread and and then, like, there is all this explosion of like really, like, more freaky artwork. Uh, it's just like a a neat anecdote. Like, I I don't think it's like necessarily. Oh, okay, it must have been this that inspired this. But it's like it just happened around the same time.
2: Yeah,
0: it's mm. f- it's a fun one to look into. Mm.
2: Yeah, Man. absolutely. <sighs>
0: so much to cover um i, I know you uh, you talked about geiger uh, earlier and uh, geiger is just one of the most uh, influential artists and visualists of like the 20th century in general yep mm-hmm. but um i, I think uh, um for for the god Hand specifically they were very very directly inspired by the uh the uh, Cenobites from Hellraiser. Uh, so that's Hellraiser mm-hmm. is the creation of uh, Clive Barker and uh, I think it st- started off as like a series of books and then there were like a nine movies. Uh, th- it's like a horror fantasy movie and if you're familiar with it um, you know the Cenobites are these uh, deno- demonic uh, beings that can mm-hmm. uh, that exist in a hell-like plane and they they can be summoned uh, to earth in uh, by um, this this supernatural puzzle, right? It, it looks it's it's like a puzzle box, and then various people in history have just you know, coincidentally found it and then like solved the puzzle and summoned them, and it, it's very very much like uh, summoning the god hand with the uh, mm-hmm. the Behelet. Um, and and you know just visually you can see the 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 design of the uh, the cenobites, um, yeah, they they got that sort of uh, uh, demonic kind of leather bondage look. Um, they were designed by Clive Barker himself i think he, he he did some rough sketches and his concept was combining um like butchers with a, a catholic imagery and also um just the snm like leather uh you know uh, imagery that he was into at the time um which that was a huge deal in the 80s man like like that leather daddy like snm culture like really um mm-hmm. uh, made its way into fantasy and then like video games and everything else and mad know, max like, yeah mad max conan mm-hmm. yeah oh, like yeah. hellraiser yeah now
4: even with um like on a mad max tangent like you know we just associate it with like barbarian apocalypse but but i guess mad max like were they just trying to specifically make them like a bondage cult roving the wasteland I, but um, it's was just like absolutely. such a hit <laughs> that now like now all wasteland maniacs are into bondage or yeah. now that's the uniform of being a, a marauder.
0: No, that was that was that was mine. That was totally new back then. That that was he was oh. you know taking from sort of this vibrant underground, um, you know, very not mainstream culture, and then it, it actually
4: just... um, if we look at what predates it, like okay, there is like Frizetta's Fraze- Conan, but then Frazetta was also doing like Flash Gordon stuff, so there was already kind of that space. Circus man bondage stuff and like in what we would call like, you know, wholesome golden age fantasy (laughs) sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. But then I think that kind of exploded once like they're doing like documentaries of like Southeast Asian island tribes and whatnot.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I just uh... it's
4: like uh, the Vikings didn't dress like that, but now like fantasy Vikings do.
0: Yeah, that's true. Like
4: they're like, yeah. like Borneo headhunters.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting to to look into the history of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, and then you I mean there's like you know Greek uh, statuary where everyone's just straight up naked. Um, so th- there's a lot of different precedents for for just you know, <laughs> naked muscular dudes uh, yeah. fighting. <laughs> but uh it, another tangent just to get topical for a minute um you know right now uh, I, I think it, it was pride month recently and there was a big discussion this year 2021 about the uh whether or not it was appropriate to have kink at pride right like uh, that, that was a big mm-hmm. deal it's become a lot more mainstream family friendly and I, I just think it, um so just real quick somebody brought up the fact that um it's just really funny that people wear the exact same costumes that they wear, you know, people into kink, into leather stuff. Uh, they wear the exact same stuff to Renaissance fairs, and no one gives them any problems.
3: <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: it, it's literally the exact same, like, leather, you know, barbarian outfits. Cool. And so there, there's sort of this irony now that pride has become so sanitized that, um, that people have more... <laughs> More, uh, they're they're not given as hard of a time at like a Renaissance fair where you know also like totally uh, family friendly event. So that that that's that's it. I just that that was my quick tangent there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, yeah, we
1: should we should expose children to leather way quick way younger so they can become like young gods and uh, that's way they 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 become way more stylish this way.
2: Absolutely. Well, we I want mean,
1: stylish proteins.
4: That's that's what Mad Max did. Yeah. Yes. No, absolutely.
2: Because
3: just like well. <laughs>
0: yeah event. george miller took like leather daddy imagery and then within a few short years you had like the Beastmaster, unironically like just yeah that was it that's the de facto look like in this movie mm-hmm. about a heroic man mm-hmm. that can talk to animals a hundred percent like uh you know fetish <laughs>
2: leather fetish imagery yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. a lot of that a lot of that actually like if we kind of have a have a think about it like a lot of the sort of, um, costumes that like Sentai like heroes wear and stuff like that as well. Like power Rangers, all that kind of spandex and superheroes and stuff like that. Like they're not too dissimilar really. Like in the ways in which like a lot of the heroes would sort of like be drawn in comic books Uh too. Like these, these outfits that we kind of would consider so like outlandish and all the rest of it. Like, no, like they're actually really quite fashionable. If you actually really do have a look at what it is that some designers are creating or what it is that some people are walking around in on runways and all the rest of it. Like, don't know they don't have to be like massively like, practical for like everyday life and stuff, but I think one of the most cool things is that it's an artistic expression. It's the ability to sort of you know share how it is that you're feeling, what it is that you're thinking, sharing things politically, like doing all of that through clothes and through fashion and through that ability to create with medium that with media that we wear and through that medium itself. Like yeah, it's it's really really cool and interesting to me, and I'm glad that like. I, I'm glad that we exist in a, in a time and space where we can have so much of these conversations like exist like globally all at once because like, I, I'm really happy. For example, when I follow like accounts, for example, that like exist in like France or people like in Africa or people in Australia or or or, um, or China, like just talking about like all different kinds of things that exist surrounding like art and fashion and like in the way that the, these media like you know facets like, affect them in their lives and stuff. So, yeah, I think I just think it's a really cool. Um, it's a it's a really cool time that we're living in right now. It's a really cool conversation to mm. have, especially yeah. in terms of like commodification as well. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. There's like,
2: also, uh, i oh.
4: thinking the Super Sentai costumes. I was thinking like, uh, you know, um, like a full helmet with like a a thin suit like that. That's how uh, a lot of Southeast Asian dances look. So I wonder if that was an influence when, like, a lot of Japanese were vacationing, like, in, like, Thailand and Bali and, like, the 60s and 70s. Or if it goes back further. Might do. It's like, uh, it's like the Japanese theatrical tradition is more like robes, but then the Southeast Asian, like, Cambodian, Thai, Khmer, like, they always wear, like, very tight suits in different colors to, like, uh, represent different types of beings
0: yeah yeah hanuman is like pure pure white right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, very striking
4: and then you you fight through like you watch the the mass hero fight through a bunch of goons until like he reaches like ramayana the demon king and then Mm -hmm. there's lots of fire and punching
2: that's what i'm saying that's what's so cool to me it's like these stories like they're, they're, they're verbal like games. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's what like, that that's what a, that's what a beat him up game is. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's being told in, in verbal form. Like, oh, this guy, oh, he went through this, um this alleyway and then he fought like a hundred men. And then like, all of them were really hard and they got progressively tougher. And then like, oh, he's going to try and like find this lady, but oh she got taken away again. And then, okay, he has to travel to this next yeah. place. Yeah. Then yeah. Go to this next... Do you know what I mean? Like, like uh... so these things are told. Yeah. We, we we tell these stories in these pieces of um, information through various forms of media and we express them in various different ways but a lot of the storylines and a lot of what it is that we're talking about just super super similar definitely yeah
3: um
1: one of the last influences direct influences that i can think about too is of course of course the for femto one of the god hands Uh Uh is directly inspired by uh the the mask in the Phantom of the Paradise by mm-hmm. Brian De Palma. So that's yeah. basically a copycat from <laughs> I hope Yora was not, you know, too stressed about um about uh copy about copyright because this one is very very obvious. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: that, and uh, it's a very absolutely. strange movie too. It's it's like a yeah. rock opera horror movie from uh, 1974. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I should watch that. Mm-hmm. I I have known I I've heard about this connection for such a long time and Yeah. yeah it looks like Never. a cool movie. I, I didn't realize it was a uh, Brian De Palma movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too, but what's really fun is that if you if you Google Font of the Paradise the Brian De Palma, you're going to um to exactly see the the reference even for the um, because Femto has this white face and dark lips and the phantom of the paradise uh, has exactly the same design so that's uh, that's really really a direct inspiration
2: yeah mm. Mm. <sighs> absolutely it, it's so it's so strange actually as well because we i'm not sure if we did just mention this but um yeah uh, Thompson and i just were talking in the chat there and i was just saying one of the god hand members uh, conrad like, his facial features, like, pretty heavily based on, like, one of the faces from, um, H.R. Gaga's painting, a landscape, um, what's that, so that's gonna be, what, like, X, like, 10, like, V, 5, like, 3, so that's, like, 18, but yeah, like, it's really, it's of 18, I think this is, but it's, it's really interesting to look at, just the fact that, like, these twisted and, like, contorted faces existing all around this character are actually based on something that's, you know, very much the same exact kind of thing, like, yeah, really, really strange. I think just like Berserk, so it it just it's got this really weird way of like making like miserable like imagery beautiful. <laughs> it, it's, really stu- it, it's really strange because like it it just there's so many things that like that should make you like really upset, but you look at them and it's like people are clearly like upset in this in this um image, and it's like. It looks cool. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it just looks fun to, like, look at and think about and stuff. Like, These are wailing, like, souls. It, this, this miasma of, like, despair and grief and pain and crying and anguish and all of it. It's yeah. this awful mess of dark emotion. And then it just at the same time elicits this, like, joyous kind of, like, feeling, like, in me or in the reader or just in the people that enjoy it. Because obviously it's so popular. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just... um. I don't know, it, there there really is something about that, the, the the enjoyment that we get from dark fiction and from just ideas yeah. that come from within ourselves that are quite, you know, negative outright. Yeah.
4: Well, the way Mira draws all of it, it has really nice texture. I can feel like, you know, the bumps of that screaming demon face.
2: hmm Absolutely and it, again like i said last time like it, it's the amount of skill that it takes to actually like, portray this it's one of the most important things i've spoken with richmond again like i'm gonna keep referencing a couple of our prior conversations i hope you don't mind richmond but oh, uh, right. yeah like just the fact that um i explained to him like a bit of like my process for doing some things and like i try and think of things in like in 3d as well as just like 2d i'm a pixel artist and like what i put together are quite literally just like squares but like it's up to me to try and make sure that what it is that i'm putting together feels as though it belongs in a in a fully realized world not in the sense of it being like oh overly detailed for the sake of it that's not what it is that i'm trying to go for personally it's more so the fact that like i'd like to make sure that my work adheres to certain standards that i set based upon like the the uh, fundamentals that like i am gaining an understanding of in art so for example like volume color, like lighting, like texture, like all these things need to be within a certain level of consistency for it to be you know believable for myself and for the people. So for example when I show someone something I think okay cool like I'm drawing this character but like I think what was that? what was I doing I think I was drawing like a, I was drawing something one time and I think I was talking about it but like when I when I do draw things I'm trying to think okay sure like this is the shape now it needs to be like what would it be like in 3d all right cool Right? Now this is our shape, right? Now, what would it be like in three D and like you put like characters and like objects and all the rest of it together that way and just to sort of shorten like it's so clear that like Muir has had an ability to do this for such a vast amount of time. Like, whenever I look at any of his pieces or any of the work which he's ever done, like just ever, like it's just a, it's just a a mass display of all of the technical abilities and prowess of a of someone who understands art on several orders of magnitude like even just looking at this one picture that i've just put in like now again of, of conrad and stuff it's like it's the ability to control all of these faces as if they're kind of like oozing liquid out of the character itself but then not only just that the fact that they kind of like a slightly like slanted upward on the character, like in the center. The fact that they kind of have like again the lighting, sort the light source coming in from the top, and the fact that all of the rest of the dark sort of like abyss that exists around the character itself. They are that the, that darkness. It, it's being played upon with this really beautiful like hatching technique that is used, and the ability to sort of you know show this great line weight. And just utilize that skill to be able to differentiate the character itself from the light areas around the character that eventually bleed out into the darkness. Yeah, it just, there's just several layers of skills upon skills upon skills all working together in tandem here. And I honestly just really, really would love to just like absorb this, really, because it's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do. And it's just so good to look at. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's just yeah, it's mesmerizing.
0: It's 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 great mm-hmm. to look at. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Let's um let's get into the sword. Right? Ah Let's do it. Let's get into the Dragon Slayer and just sort of the uh you know, that image, that very striking central image of Berserk, which is just guts brandishing this just j- ridiculously huge sword it's um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's so striking so iconic and i think think it's so interesting that um as far as i know and i i i mean we we spent a lot of time talking about this last last podcast i've even spent a lot of time on twitter you know talking about this um no one visualized a hero with such a massive sword before mira like such a conceit existed of course there's like so many stories I mean, I I know I, Andy's got so much to say about the actual history behind this. There, there's so many like uh mythic stories, but um you if you look at classical art, you will um you will never see anyone anywhere anything like an image of guts with a giant sword. Uh, just just the 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 massive size disparity between what he's wielding and what like he would typically consider a sword. Um it's crazy to think that really like I don't think anyone really nailed it uh, before him, and then after him, it became a thing. You know, we we talked about this last podcast with um, just a, like Final Fantasy, you know, Cloud's uh, Buster Sword, and you know, a G- a Guilty Gear with Cliff, and like the mm-hmm. the the Great Sword in, in in Monster Hunter, like all that came after Berserk. But um, like, what preceded it? Like, what what could have maybe informed this? And you know, what? Yeah.
4: Okay, uh, well, I guess if we go to, you know, the very first recorded story of, like, the epic of Gilgamesh, um, there's this uh, point where Gilgamesh and Enkindu, they've already uh, beat each other up and then became friends. Like, now they're going to go fight uh, Umbaba, and they're having these craftsmen make uh, axes and daggers for them. So, um, I don't know exactly how they translate it, because in some translations they'll go, okay, like, it was a big axe, it was a big sword. Some translations will go, oh, it was one talent of weight of axe and sword. But then there's one translation that goes, oh, they cast great axes, axe blades weighing 180 pounds each they cast. They cast great daggers, their blades were 120 pounds each. But I'm not exactly sure, you know... uh, how this translation is being done but like you know they're talking about the weight of the weapons uh not so much the length and at this period in time there's really no uh, there's no two-handed swords Hmm. Um, interestingly like the evolution of a big two-handed sword that seems to come around uh like 400 bc china bronze age or so Uh, that's when you start getting swords that are like a meter long And uh, they were quite surprising to, I guess, uh, like Western historians because like usually judging by, you know, what the Greeks could do, you would go, okay, this must be the limit because this is what you can do with a Greek bronze sword. And they're very smart. But then like they later on, Chinese tombs are unearthed and, and then go like, wow, this is a massive bronze sword of like, I guess, massive one meter bronze sword wielded clearly in two hands and not just like one-handed so um, i'd say east asia does have a, a quite a good tradition of, of big two-handed swords in mythology and in stories because it seemed to be at least uh evidence-wise like like one of the first places to have dedicated two-handed swords that are like really you know really long blades um mm-hmm. Then like going on into other stories like in Europe around 1000 AD is when we start hearing about like okay like uh, in Irish mythology the Ulster uh so what do you call Ulster Cycles? But um there's like a sword mentioned called uh I think it's like what Kelda Bulg? Yeah and butchering all of these names that I'm not really sure how to Calde Bulg it might be like a you know influence on Excalibur or so, but it's said to be like a sword that can cut mountain tops awesome, and then um around the same time
0: is when you
4: have like uh tale of uh Beowulf, and they said, oh, he had a very heavy sword but but then his sword didn't work on the monster, and he had to use something else
0: did so didn't he wield like a giant's sword
4: yeah, yeah, but it's uh like they kind of focus on the weight of it, um, and then it wasn't like it was more like a side thing than like the thing that he actually uses to yeah. succeed, yeah so like I guess it seems to be around a thousand like a d CE, however you date things it's uh like big so like the stories of big heavy swords start appearing, but like visualizing them doesn't quite happen so much right you now um there's also uh ritual swords like um in china there's uh at least in the ching dynasty which is like 1600s on like to late 1800s there was a custom of like a ritual you know evil dispelling swords that were just like gigantic like uh I think uh, some of like the listeners might know about oh okay in Japanese shrines they have like really massive impossible to wield swords that are like three meters long. Well, uh, similar uh, similar customs have existed in China. I'm not sure who did it first, but I know like in the Qing Dynasty there's records of like here's like this ridiculous giant sword forged to uh, it's either like to to. Dispel a bad spirit or commemorate, like, you know, a disaster and hope it doesn't happen again. But there's like a few photos of such uh, swords from like the late 1800s, too. Ritual sword. Like, I, yeah, I posted it in, in the chat. Let's see. But uh, in terms of like a hero wielding the sword to fight monsters, like in, in 16. 70s, like in Japan, Edo Japan, you know, kabuki's happening. Uh, there was uh, an actor who went by the name Ichikawa Danjuro I. So like his line still exists today. So um, he made his big uh, break in Edo by creating called the Aragato style of kabuki, which means a rough or wild or stormy hero. It pretty much like, you know, if you think shounen anime, that's exactly it. So like his thing is I'm going to draw anger veins on my face and I'm going to wield a really big sword and I'm going to make a kabuki that's about just decapitating bad guys. <laughs> and this hero like he created is a Shibaraku. Uh, that's like a phrase that pretty much uh, means like wait a mi- like a wait a minute or hold up like that's the hero's catchphrase. And the kabuki's just like there's bad guys evil lords harassing people and they're gonna kill a good guy and then this angry guy with a gigantic sword shows up says wait a minute and then he just cuts off all the bad guys heads and then he leaves Nice. and that was like that's the foundation of like kind of the the shonen anime manga style we know today and in the kabuki play like they still do it um uh, you can see them like uh it's a gigantic, like, you no, know, dachi. Not sure what the formal name is, but you know, very long, you know, sepphoroth katana, and it's a stage play. So they're like, uh, they have like the special effects of like everyone's heads rolling off by like turning away from the audience, and then like they drop like red, red cloth to have the blood spray. It's all very awesome. like spectacle based. That you know, it seems very childish. Which I guess it is, but like that's what makes it so awesome. It's egg hero comes in, kills the bad guys.:
0: Wow, so they even had like the spray of blood and the heads rolling on stage, traditionally. Wow yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
4: I don't know how much it's changed like in 300 years, but uh like I there's a few YouTube videos like you know, once uh, things clear up, I would really love to watch uh, Shibaraku in Japan just experience it.
0: And it, yeah, if you look this up, the um, the the character that Andy's talking about, the the Avenger, like uh, the face paint is very striking, right? It's it's a white base and then those thick red lines on top. So it, it's very iconic uh, kabuki look. I, I didn't realize that it, it was supposed to represent veins. <laughs> it, it's like the yeah, yeah, I saw uh, you see in in modern manga like a very exaggerated version of it.
4: It's just like in uh, Yu, Yu Hakio Show. Akusho, Toguro, when you, the stronger and angrier he gets, the more veins. Like, yeah. this NHK documentary I watched, like, uh, this experienced veteran Kabuki actor. It's like, oh, yes, my Kumadori face makeup, you know? Like, you can tell the role by, like, the different face paint. But one of the things he said, it's pretty much like, the more red lines on the face, the more angry and powerful, like, in their anger the character is. Hmm and like the example they gave was like oh this character he only has red under his eyes he's more like a a pretty boy character but then his brother is like this furious warrior so his face is covered in red lines but then their other brother is a furious warrior who's also serving evil so he's got blue anger lines on his face and then they all have to fight at the end If there is a Dragon Ball kabuki, then I have to go see it because it just sounded like Brawley fighting.
2: (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) It totally does. Totally does. Ah, that's nice. It's one of the most interesting things to think about really, just the fact that like all this again, it ties back to areas of like tangible history that we can continue to research and talk about. And with such a long spanning series as well, there will be so much to dig into and i in a sense like I'm glad that like it's been able to go on for so long, that Berserk did exist for such a long period of time. Because like there's a wealth of like references and history to dig into there that will I think not only go on to inform lots more, you know, like creation and manga and art and just all types of creativity in general, but I think it i think there's a lot there's, there's a case to be made about like how important it is to make sure that like people understand the references within the media that they ingest and within the media that they consume and just the fact that it can help widen people's horizons and broaden the world that they you know exist in and just open people's eyes to things. so yeah just to kind of like end it on that i think i'm glad that we're um i'm glad that we're doing this i'm glad that we're able to take take a look at and peel back some of the references that we see and some of the references that other people might not have heard of and yeah e- and even that we're learning ourselves as well as we're doing all of this too it's just yeah it, it's a it's always a blast and a pleasure to to get stuck in with you guys because i'm learning so much here
3: <laughs>
2: glad to hear
0: it yeah oh man andy just posted a, a picture in the chat of a chin dynasty bronze longsword and it it the shape of it is hmm. is remarkably similar to the uh, the dragon slayer actually i think we'll, we'll yeah
4: because they're just they're stretching the limits of like how they can make bronze like work as a weapon but just get longer and longer so it's just hmm. very you know uh it's almost like deceptively simple looking
3: yeah, yeah. No, definitely
4: and then um AJ's posted, like, oh, the the horse slaying swords that show up in, like, uh, Chinese and Japanese documents. Like, uh, I feel like the first time I heard Zanbato was when I was reading or watching Kenshin, and, like, one of the characters shows up with a gigantic sword. And uh, I didn't know Berserk at the time, so I was like, oh, cool. Uh,
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: so, like, Zanbato, like, that's a category of, like, anti-cavalry weapon that shows up in like ancient Chinese, maybe like thousand AD Chinese documents and then like yeah. in Japan too.
2: Yeah, I posted in a bunch of like these uh, names here. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce them, but there's a bunch of different types and kinds that come from like China and like Japan and Korea and they, yeah. apparently they're super heavy and obviously very long and large yeah. so yeah I can imagine people trying to swing like these and not having the best time because trying to we, we it's funny actually that I even think about this because I've not thought about this in many years but our coach he <laughs> wow okay so we used to have to like swing like wow, this is dumb. We used to have to swing like chairs, like not to hit anybody, for example, oh. but like just the idea of like holding like a chair while with your arms like extended, oh. it's very like heavy, right? Yeah. So for example, like we it was for it was for um. Like an arm strengthening thing but my coach was trying to prove a point about like bending like your legs and like your arms and stuff when you're hitting people and all the rest of it but like he he gave me like um like i think it was like a just one really long stick do you know what people used to like close like wind okay so in our hall like we had like a, a windows that were really like high up near the top of the ceiling and they needed like a hook on on a long stick uh, yeah. to be open and shut. you will have seen this before yeah. i think
3: yeah 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 i yeah,
2: used yeah, it, one before yeah, exactly. So these these are on. This was in like an older hall and stuff. But we, uh, I had to hold like that, like at the very end, with like my arm extended, with like with it with it basically being like just in like my fist, like just grip just gripping like the end of it, and it is unbelievably heavy. Like just trying to get like the idea of trying to you know hold such a long like piece of like wood. It's it it's literally like I'm like okay, I'm like six like one. I mean, no, I'm like six two and it was like taller than I am. I think it must have been about like maybe like a six, like a six foot five, like pole. And wow. like, I had to hold it and it was just like burning my arms. And I was like, wow, like this thing, obviously, you know, it's it's a heavy, like it's a heavy piece of wood and all the rest of it. But like, we don't realize how hard it is to hold like long objects that don't look, you know, thick or like massively heavy. Like it's, it's yeah. just the idea of like lifting like a dragon slayer. It's just like mind numbing to me. Yeah. just blows my mind
3: (laughs) yeah Yeah.
4: and then there's um things like what indian club like which seems to come from either india or iran or maybe both Mm. like you know just swinging something as a manly warrior exercise so
0: no, that's, in that's some the Iranian of the thing right i think they would um they, they'd have a ritual of like uh swinging those exercise clubs while reciting like uh poetry
3: ah. yeah yeah it's
4: like oh, super cool. So much. cool gym stuff yeah. Um hmm. then like in in like japanese martial arts today like there is like subarito like an oversized overweight uh like wooden club too uh, practice swinging with and it might be based off of like iron gloves wielded in battle um, but a safety note on using the overweight swords is it's uh it's what my sensei told me it was like oh it's it's really a core exercise Just don't swing it like a sword or you'll like you know hurt your elbows because swords are supposed to be weighed a certain way but Absolutely. it is cool to have overweight swords in history. Um, hmm. oh yeah, another tradition in um, ancient, I'm not sure when it began in China, but it was around since the 1600s or so, is uh, building purposefully overweight swords for uh, strength tests. So hmm. that was pretty much like a weight, a weightlifting uh, program, or like to say, okay, all soldiers in this garrison, they can swing this, you know, this 50-kilogram like, sword or, like, great blades like, Guando. And that's, uh, not wielding it in battle, but just saying, okay, like, they're all able to do it. But then, like, some of them survive, and then it turns into stories of, like, people swinging gigantic swords.
2: In battle, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of that, too, absolutely. The game of telephone, again, like, just the fact that so much stuff from history, it can end up being, like, kind of extended, exaggerated tall tales. So, Mm -hmm. like, yeah there's a lot of that too
0: yeah I think on, on the European side of things um, I, I just looked up uh, there there was yeah the, the Zweihander is a, like a, yeah. a large sword right and uh, there's a photograph of one it's called yeah. the Zweihander of Pierre Gerlof's Donia of friesland uh, this man was yeah. apparently um, seven feet tall or something and so they made a proportionally large sword for him and uh, it, it's it, it's taller yeah it's taller than like an average man, <laughs> man like, it's a massive yeah. sword yeah
4: yeah even uh oh, just a test i know even like a term like Zweihander isn't a historic one oh, it's, it's just oh, okay. something that stuck uh yeah i was just talking to someone about it uh, i think one of the things they they said is more historical is calling it a, a biden hander um uh, hmm. but then it's like uh most documents will just call a sword a sword mm. like it's we're categorizing things that uh they might not have seen as like the same way because it was more like they just had them in hand so they did like they weren't just discussing an abstract idea they could just go like pick up a pick up a sword mm. yeah like correct historical terms is it's also very vague cuz like you know mm. europe has many languages
2: Absolutely, <laughs> many, many, many distinctions yeah. between all of these as well. Okay, yeah. that's a large sword. Hm. Yeah, but
4: I also feel like you know whenever they do these photos, like who's our shortest curator in this museum?
2: Get here. <laughs> I know, right? Make it look even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, in terms in terms of like uh, uh, like uh, medieval uh, European arms, like what, what is a large sword uh, what is it? What what would you what is a type of large sword that you know you might see mm. show up in a movie or in a in a fantasy novel or something?
1: That's I think Andy is going to be way more accurate than me. But when you when you see people you know with two hundred swords, most of the time those swords yes they are big and all, but it comes with a lot of techniques where you actually grab the the sword. And uh, you use it to disarm your opponents or parry things, something like that. So that's the, the idea of Guts, you know, who's slashing people into with the Giant Sword. It's not really working most of the time. And, uh, and it's more for, um, it really depends actually of the matchup. I think Andy can explain way better than me but depending of who you are fighting against and the condition you're not going to have the, the most the, the, the same sword and I from and if I remember correctly the uh, thing that um, a friend that I think Andy would really appreciate talking to <laughs> uh, yeah. the most of the the longest sword you would find in a medieval setting and that you find in fantasy are basically bastard swords. So they're like classic swords, but a bit longer. And uh, they can be used in a single hand, but they are very, for, for a single hand, you need a, a lot of strength. So that that's what he, that friend explained to me. Um, when we talked about uh, berserk and uh, big swords and things like that, and we are talking about a guy that instead of you know kitchen knives in this kitchen has a sword and everywhere. <laughs> so that's uh, that's pretty funny. That uh, I know now two people who like medieval martial arts and collect swords. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So
4: thoughts on just big swords in general. Um, like just looking at a photo of a sword it can be kind of deceptive going okay like is this sword going to be more choppy is it going to be more thrusty like like the dimensions of the sword are kind of hard to tell without like you know swinging it around yourself um a general divergence i've seen is um the uh, the big european like the you know Zweihander, hander biden handers you know like the the big swords where you can grip the lower part of the blade and there's like the hooks protecting your hand gripping the blade um uh from what i've heard like i haven't handled one before but uh like they are uh weighed uh, quite close to uh, where you're gripping so they're still like all right for thrusting and they were mostly like uh, kind of like an area denial weapon like uh you can uh, very swiftly like create a big arc, like so. It's like a good uh, bodyguard weapon that can still fit through most doors, and um, which I think is uh, it's funny because um, in D the Great the greatsword is like oh it's a big damage weapon, but then like in Final Fantasy 14 they gave the Dark Knight the big sword and then they made him a tank. And a lot of people were upset, like, oh, it's a big sword. It should deal big damage. But um, it actually was very fitting to be a tank weapon because it just attacks in huge arcs and gets everything's attention. And just the size of the sword, you know, can also shield you too. So, um, one of the uh, things, like, uh, I think it's in Europe, there's a lot of surviving texts and, like, people in, in, like, Spain or, like, the Iberian Peninsula like studying montante which is like their uh, the name for the the great sword there I, I forget what era it's from maybe 1500s or so but it's um it's not like as smashy as uh, berserk it's more um continuous momentum using the momentum of your swing to like just like uh do figure eights and like uh, protect your ward like if you look up montante on youtube uh, there's different groups studying it and you'll see demonstrations of like oh like i'm like my goal is to protect this person she will crouch on the ground and i will swing around her and then like i defend myself against eight people or four people with rapiers because they can't close in without like the momentum like knocking their blade away or even venting it but then if we go to big like east asian two-handed swords they're uh Again, it's like you know, it'll vary just based on how they're designed. But there's a tendency for them to be uh, more just blade-heavy, to be very focused on like the cut, which is actually more, uh, I guess you could say, more berserk-like. Because um, like a picture I posted here is from uh, Jigen Ryu. Like uh, they're uh, from their sword style uses like big uh, two-handed swords. I guess you could call them nodachi. And one of their trainings is, like, you just take a big branch and you hit a bundle of branches until, like, you can, like, smell the the friction of, like, your branch and the pile of branches, like, burning up. So their thing is just swing really hard downward. Mm. And I've been looking for this, like, uh, it's it's really not the same as, like, what uh, the European, like, Montante circular, like continuous momentum cuts, it's it's more like very power like just straightforward uh, downward cuts so it's not as uh, it's not like spinning as much it's not um, like changing directions as much it's more just going straight down which um, I guess makes sense given that a lot of the mythos around it is like oh these are horse cutting techniques or so so it's like somebody's charging you and then you have to you have one chance to maybe kill them Maybe you both die, or maybe you do kill them. And like, you know, cleave them in half and through the horse head too. Uh Because in the Ming Dynasty, there is surviving documents of like... they, They adopted pretty much like a nodachi sword from Japanese merchants and pirates. And like their training manual says, okay, set up two poles. One is the horse's head or the horse's neck, the other is the rider's body. Practice cutting at the neck, cutting at the rider.
0: Wow! So you're supposed to take out both of them in one blow. Well, who knows? I think it's uh, I think it's more like just aiming
4: for one or the oh, other. Okay,
0: one or the okay, that makes sense. Yeah,
4: but uh, if you, but then there, there's there's uh, the the Korean version of these swords. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to say it. AJ posted it. It's like sinchansagiom. I've seen a demonstration where like the guy has a gigantic Korean sword and he just cuts through like a big pile of like tatami rolls that is it's just very impressive it's like yeah maybe maybe it could cleave through a horse's neck maybe I mean it probably won't be like cutting straight through metal through a person through a horse but but it'll probably like uh, do something to them maybe knock them off their horse or kill their horse or kill the man and then you can steal their horse
2: no, definitely. Or especially just if that comes into contact with any kind of like flesh as well. It's definitely gonna cause yeah. like a lot of like pain and damage yeah. and stuff,
4: so. Oh, yeah. um, also another thing is like, you know, uh, I guess from watching, you know, Lord of the Rings and so on, we might think most medieval battles are just these big assembled armies where the kings and like their thousands of dudes rush each other. But um, I'm not an expert on this, so I just asked other people about it, but like, most of these like medieval wars we read about in like Europe and like Japan and China they're not like thousands of dudes rushing each other most of it is like small teams of people skirmishing or raiding farms or then or just like bumping into each other like there's a document i i read this years ago it was like from the 1500s or so of like you know like mercenaries in the holy roman empire and is talking about how like oh some like a small group of people with pikes they accidentally like bump into the woods of another group of people from the enemy army but those guys had uh they had like biden handers and uh, they were able to defeat the uh the dudes in the woods because like their swords were just the right size for fighting in that area where like big long spears didn't work huh. Like there's lots of interesting things to uh, to reconstruct from this. Like you know, uh, how did uh, different kings from different eras like uh, muster their troops? Um, but it seemed to be like this small, like adventuring party, kind of like the size of a Final Fantasy party, or like uh, the party that guts is adventuring with. Like, that was uh, actually more common than the big, like, pitch battle with a thousand knights charging. Oh,
2: wow. Hm. Nice. <sighs> Damn, that this was a really gross. good history lesson there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what mean, I'm wow, saying
4: is, so you know. Berserk is realistic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's what I, I thought when I saw the giant... Um, the giant squid uh, guy uh, transforming into a monster and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. eating his wife, something like that in the first all volume the of Berserk. <laughs> yeah, all I thought, oh,
2: that's very realistic. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have fairies all around us all the time. We can all lift giant, like, you know, massive hunks of metal, for sure. So mm-hmm.
3: it's
2: it's yeah, it's great. Yeah. T- yeah. T- uh, well, then, uh,
4: what the, the honey and clover artists... Like she's quite influential on in Mira, right? Oh, they were good friends. Oh, yeah, Chika Umino,
0: like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, yeah, there's. Another yeah,
1: no, one... oh. yeah, she was a like, friend uh, of uh, Mira, you say?
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Oh, okay. So,
2: I didn't know. So...
4: this. like uh, Mira and Koji, like you know the the guts and Griffith and Griffith and Guts like they have an interview where they just talk about Chico Umino being like this very magical person and it's like man like I'm I wonder if like Shirk was written into Berserk after Miura met her because like things did become more hopeful after that
0: oh yeah and she she does seem like a character from one of uh one of her manga which um you know like she she did honey and clover and i think march comes like a lion right if if you if you look at her art it's very mm-hmm. um you know you might think it's stereotypically girly or shoujo, but it's it's technically seinen cuz it it's published in right like alongside um stuff like like berserk cuz that that's <laughs> really just uh audience just dis- it's a descriptor of the uh, the the yeah it's not really tied to style actually
2: oh man okay I'm just reading something right now very quickly just about like the mirror's like beginnings and stuff and yeah I think you guys did say this before but like um what was it called again like you said the king of wolves right Mm -hmm. that was like um based on something a script from like the writer of like the fist of the north star but like here it says as well I was just reading about this right now just randomly but yeah there's a sequel called like, the Legend of the Wolf King and I was like, oh oh damn this is this is cool just like just the names of all these things just being like wolf related or like published in like an animal in, in a in a magazine called young animal and like it's just yeah it's just really interesting just to just to think about all the way that these things are linked together, just in terms of, like, you know, like, all of the animalistic sort of, like, traits and, like, vibes in, in Berserk and stuff that we've spoken about with regard to, like the hawk and everything else like that, like, the band of the hawk and everything else like that. But even, like, um Guts is, like, a, I've not seen it, like, happen yet, but, like, the armor that he gets, it kind of reminds me of, like, a jackal, like, a wolf and stuff. Oh, so yeah. So, like, it kind, of, it, it kind of makes me think a lot about, like, just that and the way that it all kind of, I don't know, it might... um it might link back to a to an idea that Mira always had of like you know like guts being like it's like Wolfman or something, yeah. Yeah, uh,
4: I mean the proto proto guts like Mira mentioned though is a Asian man with a big katana wandering into Europe. Nice. So um, that's also what got me thinking about like the giant katana Kabuki characters because mm. uh, Mira had. He, he had thought of a big katana before changing it.
0: Hmm, that was the, <laughs> that the, would cool. the big sword, I guess. Yeah.
4: yeah. It's fun, because that's pretty much what my D&D characters were. like. <laughs> I'm an Asian man in this western fantasy setting. Here's my big sword.
0: Nice. <laughs> it's very bad, intuitive.
2: Bad. Yeah. <laughs> this, this has been cool. I'm glad I've, I've learned so much. This has been good. Yeah,
0: let's yeah. uh there's oh gosh, we're just scratching the surface too. This could take like hours. Oh
3: and, yeah. Uh, really
4: close. Yeah, I'll just okay, try Richmond, you gotta you gotta start doing those high production value video.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <Eventually>. <laughs> Maybe someday. Uh, and then we'll have all, when, of yeah. our, uh, all of
4: our all of our pitch like our photos and reaction faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. That'll
2: take so much time. <laughs> It'd be worth it though. But
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would like to get into that. Um, okay, I just want to mention two things real quick, uh, you know, yeah, just to, um, and, and then I, I think we can wrap stuff up. Number one, um, so when, when Miro was creating Berserk, uh, he, he said in general, um, he just kind of based it off of stuff he liked, right? You know, like you know, he loved Gwyn Saga, he loved these certain movies. So um, he would, of course, like do read up on history for inspiration, but he, he, he didn't really base anything in Berserk directly off of history. For the most part uh, he even admitted to being kind of anachronistic about a lot of the armor like he just kind of takes stuff from different time periods you know whatever feels right but um there is one actual uh culture from real life that he just put straight up into berserk that's the kushan empire that that was a real empire. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah that was surprising when it arrived in berserk like because for, for some moment you it's very European medieval mm-hmm. uh, story and setting, and suddenly there's this whole empire that comes in into later volumes of Berserk, and it takes a lot of space actually, and that's also one of the arcs of Berserk where well, there are the most incredible uh, panels that he ever drew, yeah. with hundreds of soldiers in armor. And uh, incredible cities and settings, and that's wow! That's so well documented. That's uh, that's frightening, actually. That's the moment you say, "Okay, I get why." I get only one chapter of Berserk every six months now.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's massive work. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. just some of my favorite art that he did in there. Yeah, and it's it's rooted in um, just the Kushan Empire it was this amazing empire, and um, you know. Uh, the, the, it, it covered an area that w- today would be like uh, India, uh, Central Asia, Afghanistan. And um, they, they, it was a very multicultural empire. So, you know, like yeah. uh, be- rooted in India, they, they, they have a lot of Hindu uh, influences. And um, uh, they also helped spread Buddhism throughout the world. And then they, they also, uh, you know, conquered some like uh, Greek territories. They incorporated a lot of like Greek style um, art. Uh, I I think they were the first to do a Buddhist statuary, right? Because before uh, Buddhist art was very symbolic, and then you know they were they were really into statuary, um, and uh, yeah, the, uh, the multicultural empire. They had like Zoroastrians in there too. Um, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. Any anything you want to add, Andy?
3: Um.
4: Yeah, just that part of the world there. Like, uh, I think it was a. Uh... Like in the 20th centuries a lot of japanese archaeologists were like the ones studying uncovering a lot of it um so that might be it might be particularly more popular in japan because of like japanese can be credited with like unearthing different caves
0: Oh, that makes sense. like
4: uh connects to like the steps and like ancient iranians and like all those that imagery that just spread everywhere uh, yeah. uh i might be related to like why hayao miyazaki always has like these step nomad people and whatever like just something that fe- that feels like that in his 80s work
0: oh, okay mm. that's uh I, I, another quick tangent I, I promise this will take less than a minute um that's that's why the uh, Easter Island statues are popular in Japan. Is um, they, they actually funded a lot of the restorations in, 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 in modern time. Wow. F- that's why it shows up in so much Japanese pop culture. And then, uh, you know, the Kushan Empire. I didn't know that about the... Uh, it, it, yeah, I didn't. Because uh, the, the, the imagery from there is particularly popular in Japanese fantasy stuff. It's sort of this extra element that... Um, I, I think maybe if if you're not familiar with the Kushan Empire, you might think it's just like pure fantasy uh, embellishment on top of like you know uh far far eastern or or western fantasy. But it, there there was this real empire that blended all of these things. It's it's fascinating to look at.
3: Hmm. Yeah, yeah they're particular... also they're
4: uh, loosely related to like where Richmond and I's ancestry is from. Like yeah. the artifacts around there were similar.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of strange melting pot, but it actually fits very well into uh, Japanese pop culture because Japanese pop culture is also known for you know making making melting pots of different things and making it work somehow. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of not surprising and surprising in a sense. But uh, that's that's very good because in Berserk it happens at the moment. Where um, we are getting used, we are kind of getting used to the the, the setting basically. Yeah. And uh, when it happens, the the it brings to the table a whole new aesthetics to the series and whole new, I would say, monsters and uh, mythologies and things like that. So that's um, that's very that's something I really enjoyed from this arc in Berserk.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it is very fun arc, and like uh, just lot and his like lo- his giant guardian Lokupala bodyguards, uh, mm. like the sorcerers that um, that have like a pretty, that have like a really good understanding of how magic works. It's not just something to be yes. scared of. Like he, he kind of uh, foreshadowed, you know,
3: uh,
4: or not foreshadowed. He's just showing, like you know, the world is huge. Like the world of. I mean uh shoot like think about like you think like berserk would have eventually reached like like the china korea japan part of the world
0: maybe
2: (laughs) (laughs) who knows one can dream right right for Uh. sure like just in terms of the ability to display such rich like, cultures and characters and all the rest of it, like, every every single character that, like, I'd read about, it felt like they were from, like, somewhere, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they had their own set of home, their own family, their own, like, history within such a wider set of, like, places surrounded by, like, places which you didn't even, like, know about or understand like it that's one of the best things about the world of berserk really just the fact that like it feels like it goes on after you shut the pages or after you stop looking do you know what i mean like like it like it exists beyond the borders of what it is that is shown to you so yeah i I definitely can Um, see that happening yeah
4: even in that old interview when mira says oh the original idea is guts is this asian man with a big katana like he changed the sword but he didn't say like he's not asian anymore who knows we don't know
0: where Guts is from yeah, yeah Guts mm-hmm. is uh, it's ambiguous where, yeah he's found I mean oh, the origin well, it, of, yeah. he's just yeah. born from a corpse hanging from a tree like he doesn't know True. who his biological parents are yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. nor is that like explained yeah. like yeah,
0: yeah. but I, um, gosh I think this is a good point to wrap things up I, I think uh, <laughs> we've been yeah, talking yeah. for a while yeah, and, uh,
1: yeah we've We've been talking for two hours, and in the end, we say, ah, oh, we know nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Pretty much. Pretty much. I'd say, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, well, Th- Thomas, I think your point about, um, yeah, the just the Kushan empire is similar to just sort of uh, like Japanese manga, anime, pop culture, in that it, it's this confluence of so many different things. And then all of hmm. that is, you know, just very much still alive in Berserk. And hopefully it'll, you know, uh uh inspire people for generations to come because it's uh (laughs) i mean that's why we're here today right i think the one of the things Mm -hmm. we have in common is we 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 love these great stories and the art and then we all also have that the the curious personalities right like we we follow up like oh like where did this come from like where where did this idea come from and you follow that thread and it's it's wonderful when you see like wow this goes way back like it's just keeps going going back farther and farther than you think and it's it's just it's it's great to be connected to this winding thread that travels through like history across the world you know i i I love that 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 that's what um that's that's what art eater is absolutely all about and yeah it's such a pleasure to you know be able to talk to you guys uh, every week about this stuff
2: Mm, definitely
0: all right uh I guess um should we close things out?
2: Let's do it, yeah, yay, okay, yeah, this is great
0: all right so um yeah i'm i'm th- thank thank you for listening uh yeah this this has been uh uh one of the more emotional <laughs> <laughs> podcast series we've done i mean a, 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 a Mira only passed like a little over a month ago, but so it's been it has been great to just meet week after week talk about um this work that meant a lot to us um yeah so uh yeah let's wrap stuff up um i'm i'm i'm, I'm your host richmond um it's it's uh, always a pleasure to record this podcast um if you enjoyed this podcast uh, uh you can catch up on old podcasts um if you go to uh arteater.com that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r.com um that's uh, if you click on the podcast ses- section you can find uh, every podcast we've ever recorded um, and you know, if you poke around, you'll find uh, articles uh, written by by myself, by Andy, by by uh, so, uh, some by Sean too. Um, yeah, we do a lot of written long form articles, and uh, they're they're there. You know, because uh, Thomas helped uh, revive the website because of his love for the written word and how websites are, are a living <laughs> document. I, I, don't worry, I, I won't I yeah. won't only do videos. <laughs> I'll always be writing principal. in the future.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So if yeah, if you if you enjoyed this podcast, please also check out the website, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Richmond underscore Lee. That's R um, I C H M O N D underscore L E E. I'm always on there, so just uh, send me a line. Uh, I'll be happy to chat for a bit. Yeah, and um, I guess uh, Thomas, can you let people know how to how to follow you?
1: oh yeah uh you can follow me on twitter at thomas so t-h-o-m-a-s-o-r-u-s and uh i think that's all i'm a web developer from france and uh, art uh, enjoyer so uh if you want some uh, good retweets from um uh, Adam account because uh, I only retweet his <laughs> account but only a, a small a small portion that I find the best and around about uh web development that's the way <laughs> that's the place to go right. and uh yeah thank you for um for listening to us
3: all
0: right
2: um AJ what what, what are you up to lately What's up everybody, yeah, Um, you can find me over on the Twitterverse, at, uh, at AJ Mattis, so the A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S, yeah, so what am I up to, I've been up to a bunch of different things really, just um, living life, enjoying myself, been trying to get more into the works of Miura and also trying to figure out more about other pieces of art that I've not really delved into all as much as I should have and that I'd like to, I've been reading a lot of like One Piece recently which has been great. I've been reading through the colour walks and doing a bunch of sketching, which has been wonderful. But yeah, uh, if you would like, I I am always on Twitter pretty, pretty much like all of the time um i'm over there sharing all kinds of beautiful pieces of artwork that i like all other kinds of things which i just enjoy yeah uh you can follow me or also yeah like i said before i'm doing pixel art for people some commission work every now and again when people need it so if you need anything or if you'd like anything done in a professional capacity feel free to hit me up over there dms are always open like i said before and yeah if you liked anything that i said or had to say today drop me a follow so you can hear some more and uh, yeah just take care everybody stay safe Get vaccinated when you can, and I will we'll, see you next time.
3: All
0: right, and uh, Andy, it's such a pleasure to have you back. So, so, so glad to have you back on the podcast. Uh, wh- yeah, let people know like what are you up to, and how how can they follow along.
4: Okay, um, see, and just the passing of Miura, like you know, such a big part of happiness, and 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 just like consuming these delicious stories it's like ah he's gone and it makes me uh feel the old feel uh it's the the flame of my own mortality and what i'll be doing with it see i've been uh pract- trying to do a one hand push-up so it's one of my goals to it's to be old. as ripped as guts yeah <laughs> um yeah on twitter okuto andy um yeah and then like a lot of these things i talk about that uh You know just go on a tangent on i'll be uh, putting into more uh, somewhere more concrete like maybe i'll make videos or a blog or something
1: just eat me if you want one i'm going
4: i'll help you yeah okay yeah i'll talk about mythology and and swords and and once i can do my handstand one arm (laughs) push-up
2: You can show us all how it's
1: done. Pu- OneHandPushUp.com, dot com. That's the website of am going, going to reserve the domain name right
2: now. Okay. That's it. OneHandPushUp.com. Yeah, oh, yep. it's I... free. Let's go. Oh, are you
3: serious? <laughs> it actually is. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: free. That's pretty. That's pretty memorable. Yeah. <laughs> That's hmm. a pretty good one.
1: <laughs> if you if you're interested, Andy, you have to buy it before we publish this podcast because it's <laughs>
0: gone. After, <laughs> okay. after this, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, it's been 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 a pleasure. Um, so yeah, thank thank you for listening and tune in uh, next week for for more uh, ex- you know fun effusive ramblings about awesome stuff. All right. <laughs> Good night everyone. Bye everybody. Good night. See you Bye. On. See ya.